This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Everybody, welcome to another edition of Creators Outlet. Tonight's special guest, Mr. Justin Gray, who has worked for every publisher known to man on the planet. <laughs> not true, but close. Except for Gold Key, he's not that old. No, definitely not. And our, our friend Kevin Gillette from uh, Inked Marketing is with us as well. Welcome. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. So, Justin, you've got a... You've, you've got a... A heck of a spicy uh, Kickstarter going on. Uh, I do. It's the fifth one, um, and it's been a lot of fun doing this book. Uh, I work with a lot of creative people that I have a really fun time working with. Uh, it's one of my favorite projects to do uh, because it's just sort of a release from reality and a release from um, basically anything that I've done before. Um, so I really, really have a good time doing that book, and I really like the people I work with on it. Boom. Oops. And we're, we're, we're soaring past uh, funding and unlocking more and more stretch goals. Yeah, we're coming up on the fourth stretch goal. I'm probably going to have to come up with some more ideas, thankfully. It's always it's always good when you run out of stretch goal ideas and you can start digging for more. So I know. It's always a good thing. 
Yeah, it's always fun to exceed your expectations. And thanks to all the backers for that, because I really appreciate all their support. Well, the main character of this issue uh, could only help sales. Yeah, it's a great piece by Antonio Brandao, who is one of my favorite people to work with. Um, we have a great relationship. And uh, for this piece, I was just kind of like, we're going to do Lady Redbeard, but I want Kirby Lady Redbeard. And uh, between him and uh, Sean Forney, who's the colorist, that's what you get. And it's it's gorgeous, and it really stands out. Um, and I just love it. I think other people like it, too. Um, it's, it's, it's a fun character, and I love doing these books where after spending years doing 24-page or 22-page comics, to just say, I'm going to do 60, 64 pages, no ads. Just It's just going to all be content um, or extras and that's a lot of fun for me because I feel like, especially with Kickstarter, people want more. They want, you know, it's something that's out of the norm. So it's not the same sort of product that you normally get. Plus I like a big chunky comic and to have it full of, you know, cause I grew up on heavy metal and metal Herlant and Epic and it's a savage sort of Conan. We just get these giant volumes yeah. of material and it was great. It wasn't like, okay, it took me a half a minute to read this cause there were three panels on every page and two balloons. And, and for me, it's nice to have this sort of, big chunky comic uh, that I think makes it more, uh, it makes it more memorable. It makes it more fun. Like it actually has some substance to it, both uh, in the read and in the physicality of the book, which I think is important as a tactile thing. Yeah. I, I look at this piece and I'm thinking, uh, where's the black light poster? Right. Oh, I wanted to do that. There's definitely, I've, I've been like, how do I get to do a black light? Uh, cover, but of course it's probably ridiculous. I mean, I, I know glow in the oh, dark yeah. covers are ridiculously expensive, so I'm like, I don't think I can get fuzzy um, black light posters. <laughs> well, it was definitely something I wanted to do, especially with this book because it, it's such a love letter to that whole uh, '70s and '80s, both American and European um, comic stuff. Yeah, they they nailed it with that cover. That that really comes through with that piece. And I work with a bunch of different people, obviously, Alessio Nocino and Chichiti and Caval, who's new, uh, who I just talked to today. And I think we're going to do another project together, which is a project that I've wanted to do for a long time, which is, and I, I tend to do things that are very different from each other. So this project we were talking about today is completely unlike any of the other projects. Um, but I'm excited because I think he's really got, he's really got the right tone. I've been waiting a long time to find the right person to do this story with him. So that's fun. So he did this one. Um, where she's um, the third unlocked one at 15k, and uh, and it's just it's this book is just really a sense of like it's been exhausting these last few years, and like everything's like so heavy, and I'm going through heart surgery and all this other stuff, and I just want to do things that reminded me of what's great about comics, about escapism, about not everything has to be world changing or culturally relevant or where you can just like open up the comic and spend whatever time you spend inside that comic and you're enjoying yourself and you're doing something that you can't normally do. And even with the advances they've made in technology, I still try and do bonkers, crazy stuff with these books. Um, that is, it's not for everyone. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble. Sometimes I'm pushing the envelope on some, you know, but I was just watching super bad last night again. And um, that movie still holds up and it's vulgar as hell, but it's also very sweet, which I think, is some of the stuff I try to go for, especially with um, there's multiple stories in there. So there's Dude Bro the Barbarian, which is this sort of this. I was watching, um, God, I can't remember it right now. I think it's D 
Demon Slayer or Dragon Slayer. It's an old 80s barbarian movie, but it's so inappropriate. It's so like could never get made today. And I was thinking that's funny to me. Like I would like to tell a story about a barbarian who just doesn't get it. Just who like just missed, you know, whatever norms are happening now and can't quite wrap his head around why he's not like hit him in the head and drag him back to the cave is not working for him. Um, so it was very funny for me to do that. And I, I'm Antonio again, who did the, um, the hollow print cover there. Uh, he, I, I talked to him and I'm like, listen, uh, we were talking about doing another project. And I said, I really want you to do a John Buscema piece. I want you to really do something that's Ernie Chan, John Buscema, this sort of savage sort of cone in this old throwback, but I want it to be modern in a sense that the character sort of like uh, Tarantino would sometimes put modern dialogue and modern music and everything into a period piece. I wanted to do that, but I wanted it to be less serious and art house and more fun uh, along those lines. So these are some of the things that I do in these books that I can't, I could never have done anywhere else for any of the publishers that I work for. They would just be like, we can't publish that. Um, so that's the beauty of Kickstarter is that there's a loyal group of people who will back this and enjoy it. It's not, that they're just backing it, they're in it because they get enjoyment out of it, which to me is the greatest reward. It's and it's a symbiotic relationship because you get an immediate feedback from people, which you don't get. I mean, I used to hand in scripts and then four months later, I'd get a review online that was either positive or negative based on how people felt about continuity or the character or the representation. And, and this is so much more rewarding to me to do it this way. So I, again, I have to thank everyone that backs these books because they're so important to me and they make, you know, they help employ these artists, they help these projects come together. So it's, it's a very rewarding process for me. They, they definitely, you know, this, this past year with all the different woes we've already had, I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. really been the year of indie. I mean, there's been such a, an uptick in, in everything, oh, yeah. been, you know, been able to do in that, in that arena. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, there were some stores that all they were getting in was indie books because diamond shut down. Right. So, you know, they were reaching out to, you know, various Kickstarters and other indie people and other stores that were carrying indie books to find out where they were getting them from and, you know, get them shipped in. I think that's great. I mean, I think that, you know, aside from whatever, I mean, everyone's hurting, I think, but it's also important to know that you got to go out there and if you want material, it's there. And maybe you didn't pay attention to it before because you had 47 covers for a crossover event that had 87 books involved. And it's nice to say, you know, there's an audience for this and there's, there's a growing audience for this, whatever the format is. And you can say it's legitimate or it's, it's delegitimate. I don't think that that's ever true. As long as you're getting comics and you're making comics, it doesn't matter how they're getting into people's hands. If they're enjoying them, we should be flooding their hands with good comics. Yeah, if, if you can pick up an indie comic and just enjoy it in the moment that you're in and get your get some escapism out of it uh, and enjoy, enjoy the work that was put into it and, you know, you know, whether you talk about it or you just like, you know, pass it on to a friend to read, you know, it's getting out there and it's it's worth it for the creators and uh, and the buyers. I agree. Definitely. The lineup poster. Yeah, that was a. Um, we had been going over ideas, and that's Alessio Nocerino. And I, 
we were talking about ideas and I thought, well, you know, I'd really like to see the usual suspects set up. And I said, it's a thing about usual suspects and, you know, it's been used in um, Guardians of the Galaxy, which I love. And I thought, let's just do uh, an homage to that and we'll make it a little cheesecakey and we'll have these crazy aliens. Because, uh, again, this is a throwback kind of comic. It's influenced by things like women in prison movies. And I wanted to do women in prison in space. So that's what this, in, you know, this part of it ended up being. Um, so that was the genesis of this cover. Oh, well, I'll tell you, when I was 10 years old, there wasn't anything better than finding like a, a prison woman movie on after the creature double feature on a Saturday. <laughs> I was like, whoa, we're not playing baseball today. No, it's funny. Like you think about all those movies that, that were on Saturday afternoons. Um, especially like in New York, um, Five didn't used to be Fox. It just used to be a channel, and they would show Kung Fu movies and Godzilla movies mm -hmm. and Kung Fu movies. And I loved that stuff. Like, like the, the Saturday morning cartoons were fun, but like once you got to the mid afternoon, you started seeing all these movies that that had you know like Bruce Lee movies and all those um, uh, Shaw Brother movies. I loved that stuff, and a lot of that comes out, uh, especially in this book. Um, and hopefully more over time because I can't do everything all the time. Otherwise, these things would be like 200 pages long a month if I could. Um, but, you know, so the idea of, um, for Lady Redbeard, if I hadn't mentioned it, is that I started writing this sort of 17th century pirate story. And I was like, ah, yeah, that's cute. But what if this happened? And what if that happened? And the next thing you know, I was like, well, where could it be the Bermuda Triangle? <clears throat> because back in the 70s, you know, um, and I, I see that I think Zachary Quinto is now because he had played Leonard Nimoy in the Star Trek movie is now doing In Search Of, uh, which was Leonard Nimoy's show. And I, I, I thought this is, a, this is a kind of a fun thing to do is uh, time travel, alternate reality, Doctor Who meets, you know, the, the Bermuda Triangle with a sexy redhead pirate who's really sassy and doesn't take any shit off anybody. And then just like zombie dinosaurs. I'm like, any, I'm like, once I create an environment where anything's possible, then I feel very comfortable just doing really crazy anything. Um, so there's a little Minara in there um, because I, I love when he did Gulliver's Travels. And so there's some influence in that. And there's definitely a lot of heavy metal influence in, in these books. So if that's the kind of thing that people are into, and they don't see enough of that anymore. If it's just reprints and there's nothing new, um, this is sort of my attempt at saying, let's do 2020, 2021 version of those great old comics that were sometimes inappropriate, sometimes crass, um, a little cheesecakey and sexy, um, but not. But I, I try and change some of those elements where it's not just this, this just the same uh, aesthetic as it was back then. There's some other things that I throw in there. Um, to sort of help modernize some of those or, or even poke fun at them, as I think you should be able to be tongue-in-cheek about some things, which used to get me in trouble all the time with the mainstream publishers. Like, we can't make fun of your characters. Like, you can't make fun of Catwoman's outfit. And I was like, but if we're doing, if we're doing <laughs> the purple outfit, I'm like, why can't we have a little fun with it? Everyone knows the joke's there. Like, why not just say, we've already moved past it, but if you want to do a retro piece... To me, I'm like, oh, you should have some fun. And comics to me should be fun. They really should. I know they're a business and I, 
I went in with rose colored glasses right when I first got into comics and it was a huge shock um, that it was a business and that it wasn't just like the bullpen and Stanley and everyone hanging out with the artists and the writers and it was all a good time. Um, but I still think that you go into making comics because you want to have fun and you want other people to have fun consuming them. That's, that's yeah. well put because my wife asked me a while back, uh, just some crazy stuff was going on in the, in the comic industry. And she goes, when did comics quit being fun? It's like when we let them quit being fun. Yeah. That's, that's when it stops. I mean, I didn't, I never really had the sense of that. I had to be so legitimized by like, I love this. So you have to love it the way I love it. It was just kind of like, it's fun. It's not like anything else. And when people would say, well, why do you read that? I'm like, because it really isn't like anything else. And you can break it down and you can make fun of it and you can tease people. Like I got teased when I was a kid. I was like, let's play Micronauts. And they were like, oh my God, what a loser. But there was a sense of real fun and escapism to that. That just, it, it, I think people are starting to see it now on a larger scale with the bigger movies uh, and the fun that are in those movies. Um, but it's nice to see that we keep moving forward with that sentiment. I think I, I want to well, keep pushing that forward. That's what the backdrop is that you see behind me. I mean, this is the stuff that we grew up with as kids. Right. I mean, over one shoulder is all the He-Man stuff, and you'll see a Ghostbusters car and a, and a Michael Knight car, right? Kids down there. You'll see, you know, on this side, I always, always get that backwards. You always got to figure out your space. And it's your Star Wars over your side. Yeah, over, over, you know, my left shoulder, by the way, my left shoulder is the the Star Wars stuff. So. Um, you know, it's just a kind of a culmination. It's just a, it's just a fun space. Um, yeah. It's a very creative space that you can kind of get in here and dive back to when you were a kid and stuff that matters. I mean, I can go back through and over the, on the, over where all the comics are, I can go back through and I can pull up the very first comic I got when I was a kid and it was an indie comic. So my heart's always stayed with indies. It was a mm. uh, Comico comic and it was um, Justice Machine 2. And it's funny, I always end up starting with the second issue for some reason. It's been a thing, but uh, you know that was picking through the shelves, you know, picking through the roller racks and stuff, all the spinner racks, and and I don't know this Seven Eleven. I think had a spinner rack and the flat rack. So when you're going through the racks, um, that's what was on there. And I pulled up like I said, Justice Machine uh, Two was the one. I remember getting that when I started in Wolverine. It was Wolverine Two, so I had to go back to one. It was the one with the, the you know the whole samurai deal on the cover, but. Um, that, that I wrote a story on that about the feeling of, you know, being a kid riding your bike because we didn't have comic shops. We were, yeah. Our town was small. We had Seven Eleven or the hospital. You know, hospital was in the bigger town, mm-hmm. and and I would go to Seven Eleven and thump it. And there's the smell of Clorox and the Slurpee machine, right? And the old burnt hot dogs in the corner. Right. So all that kind of comes back when I pull that book out. I think about those times, and then my dad was in and out of the hospital a lot with a bunch of knee surgeries and back surgeries. So when I would go to the hospital with my mom. You know, it, not that it was a reward to go to the hospital, but the reward after I saw dad was swinging by the gift shop on the way out and bam, you know, there's a, there's Warlord, right? Right there in the DC rack. So, I mean, I still have my original Warlord that I picked up from that, from those days. And, and, you know, it's just fun to dive back into that time period. That's why I keep all this stuff around just to remind me exactly what you just said. And especially when I was a kid, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, now thanks to Justin, I'm really missing all my Micronauts toys. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that stupid comic. I loved it when the, the, the first one, and then when Butch Geist was doing it, and it was just kind of like it was so much fun. And they were gangsters, like nineteen forties gangsters, in one or two issues. And I was like, this is just crazy. Like, if, that's the thing that I think w- what draws me to it is that that sense of anything can happen, and they're not held down by these rules. And I. I I started to realize that all of a sudden 
there were so many rules when I was working on stuff and I was like, why can't we do this? And like, no, there'll be no Amazons around the same time as Jonah Hex. I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, why can't we have an Amazon in the old West? We don't have to play it up. It doesn't have to be anything, but people will know it's an Amazon just by how this person acts. And they're like, no, we can't do that. And I was like, but it's so fun. <laughs> why wouldn't you do that? It's never been done before. You've never seen a wild West Amazon. She doesn't have to work in the saloon. Right. She doesn't have to wear a tiara or be half naked. In fact, it would be more fun if she wasn't, if she was taller than every tall, skinny cowboy you've ever seen in any movie. I don't know. Just like those opportunities for things um, started to become thinner and thinner. And I'm, you know, I'm a kid that grew up with what if I loved what if. So I was always like, you know, that kind of thing carries over and it especially carries over into it doesn't carry over into everything I do. Like I said, I like to do things that are very different from each other because I think my brain just does that kind of thing. I don't even know how to explain it. But for this thing, I'm like, just anything in spicy pulp comics should just be able to happen. And I don't have to spend all this time worrying about continuity or explaining the physics of it. It's a Bermuda triangle. So, and they have a spaceship that can fly through time and space and it doesn't matter. So she goes from being in the 1700s to being in space prison and it makes sense. And all the crazy characters I can throw in with it is, is fine. Um, so that's that's the thing that draws me to stuff like this is it's liberating to not have to worry about all that kind of structural. Um, it's a, it's a branding and which I completely understand and I I understand why no one would ever let me write a Teen Titans comic because it just wouldn't work for the branding. Uh, but I can do stuff with this where I feel much more satisfied with what I'm doing. It's Lady Redbeard, the star of Time Pirates. <laughs> It's definitely it's definitely a great series and and I was a big Jonah Hex fan growing up so you know mm. um, yeah I love that character yeah it's, it's just so a, much fun it's it's just always just a fun period but this is this is a uh, you know like you said if you like any of those things that he just mentioned it's just a great book to pick up and there's lots of it I mean we've been doing this compiling a lot of I mean, the idea mm -hmm. was just get a bunch of teams together and say here go do this here go do that and then I'll try and corral everyone together in a certain time period. And then put the books together. So you get you get with these books, you get 30 pages of main story featuring one character for two issues. So you don't have to have a huge investment in that. But then you also have either self-contained short stories where you have smaller chunks of serialized stuff like Dude Bro takes three chapters and then he's done. Um, we're going to introduce uh, a new character in the next book. Um, and they're all these different, and I have another character coming up, which is based on my uh, experiences working Instacart during a pandemic, uh, where I wanted to do this sort of 80s uh, glam rock, heavy metal interpretation. Like an, it's an alternate 1980s thing where the people who are immune to a certain disease are living on the outside, almost Mad Max style, but then they start using them to try and deliver the vaccine that only lasts for a certain amount of time before you have to get another one. Um, so that's been a lot of fun to write. And it, like, I don't know who's going to draw it because it's a lot of car driving. So <laughs> it's hard to get people to draw cars. I remember when we were doing Jonah Hex and we, we had spoken to a couple of artists and they're like, well, we don't want to draw horses. And I was like, well, you can't do a Western without drawing horses. So there's, there's going to be a couple of sunsets. There's going to be some cactus, some horses. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, kind of goes with it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's funny. Cause I, I talked to uh, a couple of guys that, that were doing uh, Vortex 2.0 for John Carpenter's line, and they're from they're from the UK, 
And the next story they're working on is a Western and it's like the second Western they've done together. And, uh, the artist is always trying to find ways that he can kill the horses during the story because he hates drawing horses. He goes, he goes, anytime you see this horse, it's, it's going to be in a flood in a river or a lake. So I only have to draw him from the shoulders up. Oh my God. What's well, to me, the other thing to me that's fun in this business, we're talking about, you know, dealing with international groups and teams is, um, is, is we deal with Richard Boom over there in the Netherlands. And it's always funny because Richard Boom's right now in the middle of remodeling his house. So being from there and I'm from here, sometimes we're, we're talking about different things and he'll call something else. We, we got in a discussion that about what they call caulk versus what we call caulk, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just those funny kind of conversations that you can have with someone in a different part and their experiences, you know, building the same sort of things. He's having to deal with concrete and, and grout and all this kind of stuff. But they call it something a little different than we do. So it's it's it, that's to me is the other thing is to be able to, like you said, almost time travel. But we're kind of traveling in uh, in a in a field of or a realm of different cultures in, in this mm. business. That's always fun to me. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I really do enjoy that part of it. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work out so great because you have language issues, and but for the most part, it's a lot of fun. We're, uh, I'm working with another gentleman in Indonesia, and I get a lot of "Okay, sir." Okay, EY, sir. Okay, sir. He just, right. every time, you know, great, great guy. It's just interesting how that kind of comes across sometimes. Well, sometimes it's Google Translate, which is not always your friend. That's true. Yeah. And I think about that would be, yeah, that's very true. There's a very spicy print right there. Yeah, that's more tasteful than some of the previous ones. But um, yeah, I, I like that. It's, uh, it's Daniel Caval. Um, I love his line work. It's very clean. And the colorist Slamet Mugiono um, is one of my favorites. He's he was, he's right now coloring the last of a five-issue thing uh, that's going to be next on um, Kickstarter. And, um, again, he, I mean, he's in Indonesia and Caval's in Brazil. And it's just so much fun to work with people who are enthusiastic about comics in a way that's not sort of, without having the expectations of, is it Marvel or is it DC? Is it legitimate or is it, you know, is it going to propel me into stardom? Um, which there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I like hungry. I, I, I think it's great. Um, but I also like the idea of making comics to make comics and not to worry about like, you know, w- what is this going to do for my reputation or my status? Because honestly, I've had so many artists taken, um, you know, introduce people to artists and then they're gone and then they're working. Um, there's a artist. It's not, it's not really entirely my fault. It's part of a process. Um, but I just did, uh, the standstill Kickstarter and this is part of it was done a while back by an artist who is now very popular at DC and he's a fantastic artist and a great guy, but I have seen that I, I've pitched things to companies and turned around and the artist is working two weeks later. And I think that's great. You know, I mean, it's a little sketchy, but I'm happy for them. Uh, always happy for the success of the people I work with to see them um, fulfilling their dream or moving forward in their dream. I think that's one of the things I like most. I like hiring people. I like to see people doing what they want to do with themselves because you don't always get that opportunity. And, and there's a lot of competition for things in mainstream comics and a lot of talented people get turned away because they're not used right. I always remember one of the things that used to make me crazy was that 
not putting the right people on the right projects, just sort of throwing names at things or just throwing, trying to fill uh, publishing schedules. And I always thought, especially when, when Jimmy Palmiani and I were doing Jonah Hex, we were constantly looking at the right story for the right artist and we write stories. You know, it's J.H. Williams. Uh, so we're going to do a J.H. Williams story or Eduardo Riso. So we're going to do a thing that we think Eduardo Riso would be really good at as opposed to just saying, look, it's Eduardo Riso, just hand him any script and he'll make it work. Instead, it was like, how do we make them excited to work on it? And I, I, I do that with Spicy Pulp. I look for people that I think, and, and other, whatever other indie projects, I look for people that I think, A, they're going to be excited, so they're going to want to do it, because there's nothing worse than working on something you don't want to do. And I, I think we've all done that, regardless mm -hmm. of what industry it is. I mean, I don't really like working the salad bar, um, in, in a chain restaurant, but I've done it because I had to do it. So when I'm in a position like this, I'm like, how can I get people to be excited to do a job that they want to do? They want to get up, they want to turn the pages, and you can see it. Um, like with Antonio's uh, Kirby-esque Lady Redbeard thing, he was very excited to be doing that. It was like he hadn't had a chance to do that before. Um, and this is Rui Sivliera. And Thigo Rendau, I hope I say his name right. I think it's Thigo. And uh, Rui is one of the animators on a Netflix show out of Brazil called Super Drag, which is about drag queens with superpowers. And um, it's very over the top. And a lot of moments in this, especially the, the thing that's on now, there's a, there's a very over the top moment where I was kind of explaining to him I wanted it to be this way. And he kept giving me pages that were much more um, risque. And then I finally, I was like, you know what? It's spicy pulp, I'm just gonna run with it. I'm gonna, and if people don't like it or they get upset by it, it's only three or four panels and they'll either get over it or they won't. Um, but it's it's how he sees it. So I'm like, I'm gonna like, cause I like to, I like to share visions with people and let them do their own thing as much as possible. Yeah, plus they were they were pre-warned. It says spicy on the cover. That's true. That's you true. Know? Yes. Oh, there's Dude Bro. Dude Bro the Barbarian. Yes, which is a sword and sorcery rom-com, uh, which is also kind of crude and vulgar at times, obviously, based on that monster. Um, <laughs> but this is, uh, this is a lot of fun. I mean, this is the one where I said, can we just do Jambusama, Cyber Sword of Conan? Um, so there's a lot of tropes in there I have fun with and a lot of dynamics between the hero and uh, the, the heroine, as we could see her there with the sword. And I, it also answers the age old question of what's the difference between a wizard and a sorcerer and um, about how a wizard's a sorcerer's uh, version of a creepy uncle. And there's a lot of sex cult stuff in it, which I thought was really funny because you would always in those old Conan stories, they're like you'd be brushing up against the idea that, that this wizard or sorcerer was running a sex cult with all these women flaunting around all the time. So I thought, let's just have some fun with that and interdimensional octopus monsters like Lovecraft. Um, so and and Antonio obviously delivered, and and Sean Forney's colorist on this one as well, and they just do great work. And we're gonna be collaborating. Uh, all three of us on the next what replaces this story is something called strawberry milk which is kind of like tank girl meets lobo uh, which is a, it's it's I'm really old yeah <laughs> it's crazy it's goofy a little earlier you said 
80s, but a little different. I'm like, well, you had me at 80s. <laughs> uh, this is Mecca Monroe, which is an American meets Indonesian manga sort of. I call it the dessert. Like after you're like usually the either it's Road Witch or um, Lady Redbeard is like the meat of the book, and then you have these sort of other things that are like uh, I don't know. I don't even know how you explain it, but this is definitely the dessert of the of the comic where it's sort of light anime manga style. And uh, we really see a lot of that in this particular issue um, because she gets 20 pages instead of her usual 10 um, because there's a lot of uh, backstory and character development that happens in this one and a lot of silly stuff. Well, what I, what I liked about it overall was the fact that it is definitely, uh, definitely tied in back in with the old... Um, you know, pulps of the of the 40s and 50s where you had all these different sections of stories all right. as a collective, right? So that's very much tied in with this. And I have a whole stack of them back there, um, you know, 1943, 45, you know, 50s, all the way up through the, the you know, the Magnus of the 60s, which I always had the, you know, they'd already broken off their own story. But that's still a throwback to that whole era of, of being able to have a collective of a story. And it's, this this pegs it through and through. Oh, yeah. Kind of kind of like the old ECs were. Hmm. We yeah, get, I like, like, I like multiple, multiple stories and like really heavy on the story telling opposed to just you know letting the art tell the entire story like they like to do now in a at a couple of companies that have initials uh, it's 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 again it's supposed to be fun but it's also like you're getting 60 something pages oh yeah if i could do 80 pages i i would um, logistically, it's hard, but I mean, the more the merrier. I have I have more material than I have resources to get that material out there, so it is what it is. Um, so I have trades, and you know, every, there's there's the single issue crowd, and then there's the trade crowd, and um, it's easier for me to do trades because it's a lot less bagging, boarding, packing, um, mm -hmm. and you know, and and you also get like. With these two trades, you'll get the complete Road Witch story and the complete Lady Redbeard story, along with the other stuff, um, all in one sitting. So I think for me that's nice. Um, and uh, Lady Redbeard was the first character I led with, and then I went to Road Witch, which is uh, inspired by, and I see this all the time, especially now that I'm driving around uh, doing Instacart uh, in upstate New York. You notice on highways all across America there are crosses and flowers where people have perished um mm -hmm. and I, I would drive past them and i would be like well what if there was like a patron saint of people who had died alongside the road or what if there was someone um you could go to instead of having these memorials that you know recognize motorcycle crashes or car accidents and i thought of this character that you would go there and you would say something terrible happened to the person that died here and i'll call upon the spirit of the road witch and she'll come and she's obligated to do something about it or to help the person that's calling upon her, even if it has nothing to do with the car accident. And so I thought that's kind of an interesting idea. And to have this sort of character that started out um, when America wasn't even called America, when there were Puritans and they were burning witches in Salem. And a lot of times they were just blaming women for stuff that had nothing to do with them. It was jealous other wives or, and the idea was that this this girl who was falsely accused was cursed by a witch that she killed and the witch attached herself to her. 
So the two of them were sort of firestorm symbiotic with each other throughout time. So I could, once again, I created an environment where I could tell any kind of story through as a period piece. So while the first story that's in uh, issue three and four is a modern piece, I started writing a piece where she teams up. H.P. Lovecraft is the one who goes to the side of the road to summon her uh, to help him with something, um, which is going to be a lot of fun. I've written 90% of that. So that was the second character that came out of this. Uh, so you get, and then we went back to, I was going to do that, uh, the next Road Witch thing, and the artist who had done Road Witch with me was suddenly busy, and that's what happens with indie comics. You got to kind of be really super flexible and, and stay on your toes. So I immediately started looking for someone, and I didn't even really have the next Lady Redbeard in mind. But I saw an artist, the artist inspired me, and I said, well, what if I did this? And then that's how we're at issue five now with Lady Redbeard taking over again for two issues. So, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of fun doing it that way. It's probably, it would make people crazy, but I always hated having to write six-month overviews. Mm -hmm. uh, what would happen in a comic for, you know, six or eight months from now, that it's so nice to just be like, this is what happens, and I don't have to worry about going back and doing, again, doing something that like maybe I'm over in eight months and don't have the same enthusiasm for. Yeah. Plus with the, uh, with the trades, um, you know, quite honestly for, I don't know how many years now, 65% of the market's been, been all trades. Cause a lot of people that, that love comics, but you know, can't pick them up all the time. They just want to. They just want to go into a into a shop or you know buy something online that's like a complete story or at least a complete story arc. Right. You know, just so they can sit down and and you know dive into something to distract them from you know real world crap because real world crap really sucks. I'm not saying. I'm not going to disagree. No, I just, get it. Just, just saying. There's small installments too. I mean, 22 pages. Uh, I started, I tried to kickstart 22 pages and I was just like, this is crazy. Like who, who's going to want to do this? You know, you got to give people more material. Oh Especially yeah. In the age of more material. Everything is more material. When you go in a subscription service now, whether it's Disney plus or it's Hulu or whatever, you have a vast library of material that you can get lost in. And to say, well, now I want you to read 22 pages in five minutes and then wait 30, 35 days to get the next one. Um, I lose interest in a series that's all there sometimes. Mm -hmm. you know, I stop watching stuff. I'm like, I don't really feel like watching that. So, And with, with the indie market where, you know, even if you're bouncing back and forth between Indiegogo and Kickstarter, you can only get so many books a, a year out. Right. You know, so how how soon are they going to lose interest you know with you know a 22 or 24 page book and then they got to wait like you know two or three months for the next issue where you know you you get them 60 pages they might not sit down and read it like all in one all in one lump you know right. they'll read you know they'll read some and then they'll you know they'll go and do stuff and they'll come back to it and I just, I just like, I like trades for certain things more. Like I like all my game and stuff in like trades. And of course mm -hmm. I prefer, I prefer yeah. the hardcover trades. So, you know, I can put them up on a bookshelf and they're, you know, 
they're they're right there. Um, I do have tons and tons of soft covers. But then I have to stack them sideways, and the OCD in me goes a little crazy for a while. And <laughs> I I just kind of like turn like this and look at the TV and go, oh right. yeah, the game's on. Never mind. No, I totally get it. I mean, I wish I could do more art covers. At some point, I would like to do. Um, I would like to do that with these, especially like I'd like to do omnibuses and just make them big, really big, heavy door stoppers. Mm -hmm. um, just because I think it's nice. I think it's 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 something that makes it more valuable to people. It's such an investment. I always look at investments in things, and if they're going to invest their time and money in me, I need to give them something that they're not getting elsewhere. So that's always important. Yeah, like Jeff Bone did, like Jeff Smith yeah. did when he released his his big fat bone. Yeah, that didn't sound right. No, but I understand what you're saying. You know what I'm saying. Well, so nobody thinks I'm crazy. This big fat bone. Yeah. Not... Like an old school phone book. Oh yeah, we're phone books. Phone books, kids, are where we used to have to look what? up numbers. That, yeah, that thing could be used as a weapon these days. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. my favorite thing about buying an omnibus. It's loaded with hours of reading and it's ideal for home defense. <laughs> there you go. It's a package deal. Man, you know, d discussions and, and d dis disputes were, were settled with Tonka trucks when we were growing up, right? You get a quick Tonka truck to the head. That, that was the end of that discussion. You were not doing Oh, man. My, my friend's little brother, he was... He was the two face of the neighborhood. He'd be like smiling, sweet little boy. Couple would be walking down the end to go to the train tracks to, you know, just go for a walk in the woods, going, you know, cutting down to uh, to their pot of town or whatever. And he'd walk by him, smile, hi. And you know, the girlfriend would pat him on the head, hi. You're a nice little boy. And as soon as they walked a foot beyond him. He would spin around with his Tonka dump truck and whack him in the small of the back oh. and run. <laughs> That's right, Bobby Marshall. I'm talking about you. He's never going to watch this. I don't care. Bobby Marshall's not watching this. <laughs> well, he'll never be able to run for office now. That's for sure because the story's yeah. out. So he's done. He's done. Yeah. With, he's done with politics. <laughs> oh yeah. And now we've got uh, we've got some. We get some magnets. We get some uh, some nice pins. Some acrylic pins. I I always trying to do different things. I'm trying to see you know whatever. I mean I don't usually do merchandise, but I started seeing some quality stuff, and I was like, oh, this might be fun. So, I mean, I like them, but I don't know. People, if that, but... people love cool swag. You always gotta have yeah. something cool and interesting and inviting. Yeah. So, yeah, my my. Uh... My workstation is uh, getting filled up with uh, stickers from from uh, all kinds of indie books. Well, and a Hulk. I've got a Hulk on there, and everything else is from. Uh, I just threw like four more stickers on there from uh, a friend's project uh, that they were in a lawsuit with AMC because they were the Toking Dead. <laughs> They, re they realized I mean, they multiple lawsuits, right? I mean, oh yeah, they real they realized that the uh, that the zombies wouldn't want to eat your brains if you got them stoned. 
but then once you ran out of weed, you were in trouble. So, because so now the they, they had to switch it to uh, toking with the dead, but. back issues so people can get the yeah these are all um, spot gloss covers that weren't available before um the the one in the water is john brolia artist um revin and then uh roy who did who's doing the lady redbeard story now did the one for three uh thomas blake did issue four uh the evil knievel variant oh and, i like uh, that I realized there weren't there weren't as many people as I had hoped who would understand the significance of an evil Knievel variant. Um, but are you kidding? I still have my stunt cycle <laughs> somewhere. One of these boxes. It's it's in there somewhere. I've got the original, and uh, my LCS gifted me uh, one of the anniversary ones from like a few years back. Nice. Did you watch the uh, the whole Evil Knievel? Um, what's the guy's name from X Games and stuff that just did the uh, the work of breaking of all the different uh, Evil Knievel stunts? I did not see that. It was, uh, and he did it like all. The crazy thing was he did it all in. I don't think it was name in a minute, but he did it all in one day, like mm -hmm. jump after jump after jump, you know. Um, and it was incredible. I mean, he, like I said, he was a big X X Games guy for a while. A bunch of you know the kind that would do the flip in the air with the dirt bike and. You mm -hmm. know, the, the kind that throws the bike forward, does the Superman right, and grabs the, the, the fender pull. When, when do you first feel you want to do that? Know. You know, when do you want to separate from the bike in midair? And then, you know, I was at a, at a deal back home, and uh, we watched an event, and they were doing all these stunts and everything, and doing just what we're talking about. And the guy had just done the Superman over the, you know, the deal. He saw somebody in the crowd he wanted to talk to. I guess he was trying to impress a girl. So to come talk to her, and he's probably 19 or 20, and he flat-footed up the bleachers, and I'm talking like stadium-style chairs. So you right. know, they're only that wide. He flat-foot balanced and walked up the up the seats, the top of the seats. Like we walk up, he was going up the seats. I'm like, that's just crazy, ridiculous. About yeah. one step, and that's an ankle snap, and his career's done. Right. But I guess to go talk with this girl, nineteen. Right. Yeah, it's he's immensely. Can't amazing. break your nineteen. There was a girl. That was it. Has to that's be. That's all you have to say. That, that story right there sets itself. Um, there was another guy. That's how humanity has lasted as long as it has. Pretty much. <laughs> um, that's uh, that. That could be a whole comic series of itself. There was a girl, right? You know. Um, so there was another instance where uh, another dirt bike kind of thing where we do a bunch of grand openings for some stores, and we had hired the world indoor champion, and his shows were phenomenal. But his show, his practice runs what you had to watch because that's when he was testing himself and playing around with the crowds just doing fun things and then he was such a kid that the jumpy castles off to the side and between shows he would go hang out in the jumpy castle mm. he's doing stuff that amazes and, and defies gravity and he's going to go hang out with the seven-year-olds in the jumpy castle that, that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> i gotta see that thing you were talking about though yeah, I'll look up the name and I'll send it to you. But it was, it was, he, like he said, he did. And the crazy thing was, he had, and he's doing it. Um, and they were older school bikes. They were more of, because people, a lot of people don't realize that aren't, you know, fans or, or kept up with all stuff that he did was, man, that's an old school full yeah. Harley. That's, that's weight. 
that's yeah. that's mm -hmm. not just these 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 gas gas bikes it's not that are carbon, it's not a carbon frame. Yeah, I mean, these things were weighs two ounces. Oh, right, these things were a, a horse. I mean, they were you know, and he's doing all this stuff with them, and this and they. God, I think it was name in a minute. It bugs me, but he's doing it with similar style bikes. He had like three different jump setups, and the thing was, I thought he was going to go from bike to bike, but the other two were just in case he just smashed one. He just had another one mm. right there. But he did the he did the jump over the. It was all in Vegas. He did the jump over the the you know the water Bounce stuff it. that he did. Right. But the only thing that kind of got me was, and I have to go back and look at it again. I think he did it the width ways. He didn't do the whole long jump. Okay. So to me, that one didn't count. You know, I was kind of like, man, yeah. you didn't you didn't do the full evil Knievel thing, right? You didn't go for it. Um, and and he just went one after another. I mean, it was just it was insane. I'll, I'll look it up and send it to you. Cool. Do that. Thank you. Look, if he didn't try to jump the Grand Canyon, he he was he was <laughs> yeah. just playing. He's a coward. Yeah, if he didn't if he didn't do the if he didn't do the rocket like you know straight into the cliff, I mean that's no that's what 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 is that you know? A, well, how do you guy, remember that? I go because I had all the toys. Yeah, there was a guy who, um, God, where was it? I want to say it was in was it Utah or Montana? Anyway, uh, the kind of roadrunner scenery that we're used to, right? Mm. If you've ever looked up, um, it's not probably Utah. Yeah, it, it, scenery is probably oh, Utah or yeah, Arizona. It's it's all you know, and there was um, I'll think of it in a minute. It's, uh, there's another series that you can do that talks about how people uh, die in some sort of really stupid way, doing something really chaos. And there's um, it's the the Darwin Awards. If you look, oh at yeah. yeah, those are great. Now there's one of them where a guy literally took the the jet packs, the actual packs they put on the bigger planes for the army to get the bigger cargo off the ground, the extra boost. He took yeah. a boost, stuck it on the top of his car, right? And it's like this Monte Carlo kind of really weighted car. Took off across the desert to see how fast he could go. Hits the button, right, to juice up the jet to get it to go. Mm. And it literally picks the car up off the ground, so he loses all steering capabilities. And the, the, the regular desert police that run around the highway find him smoldering, smashed against the cliff, you know, and they had to like ID him off his fingernails, you know. I mean, he, there was nothing well, left. Wiley Coyote move. Yeah, it was, it was the grease spot. Oh you know, but the, the, that's what kind of reminisces me about these dirt bike kind of adventures, or you know, I right. Mean, but yeah, I have to I have to look both of those up. But I'll definitely do the the uh, God Kasan. I, mean, I have to look up his name. He's, he's a famous. I said famous X bike guy that did all the announcements and was kind of like the ringleader for a long time and, and mm. did everything for that series. To check that out, he didn't jump the shark like the Thons, or, you know. <laughs> I'm not impressed. <laughs> we just we, we did the was, fountain, but you did it the short way, and yeah. you didn't go over the center of the fountain. Come I on, was, I, was, I was I was always more into cars than bikes when I was growing up, and we I built race cars all my life, and and I used to, I tell my kids you know I was like look there's stuff that we did that if we'd have gotten caught we'd have went to jail and if we right. screwed up we'd have gotten killed I mean I've I've done it right I've I've ridden at a high rate of speed on the front end of a car you know the whole scene that's in right. um, you know that's that's yeah, in there in, in high school I died from doing that car surfing yeah. thing yeah we we all and we you know and that so that whole scene in Death Proof right you know where where she's like riding on the hood of the car and everybody's like oh my god well, yeah we we did that stuff yep. you know growing up i look back at it now i'm going oh my god why, why what was i thinking you know and and i was in i was in a major car wreck in 2007 that broke my neck and 
I was I'm a lot more cautious after that event than before. That's like crazy. I, Why would I you? Mean, be? <laughs> yeah, I asked the doctor. I said, "Look, man, what what are my odd changes now? Like, you know, um, I'll walk across beams and barns and stuff and not think anything of it. And I, I work high rise stuff, so I'm you know hundreds of feet in the air. I said, I I haven't ridden a horse since I've broken my neck. So what are my odds? And he's like, I really can't tell you. So and I did. I finally a couple of years ago got got back on the horse, as they say, mm. and uh, and tried it out more of my you know back to my uh, my my Jonah Hex cowboy roots, I guess. You no, know, a lot of times you'll see me in a cowboy hat, but um, you just you just have to do it, man. I just had to get back get back in the saddle and, and throw some more cliches at it. But that's it was uh, that was that was I've been riding the horse in years and years, and then breathe a big sigh of relief once you get off the horse. Yeah, like I lived through that. That was that was a moment, you know. I was you know you don't think about it when you're younger, but man, the things that that happen to you uh, or those kind of events that stick with you, like this whole scene that I looked through when I was looking at the book. I mean, that really flashed me back to that event back in 2007. Mm-hmm. You know car situation but here here i am i must be around for a reason right yep yep Definitely. both of us all, all of us yeah they want me making comics i guess i don't know <laughs> i don't know what okay, well, we three musketeers of beaten death right <laughs> wood. really for now yeah, what happened to those three guys they were on the air just the other day and they're all gone right? <laughs> the final destination they said they were going to Tijuana for the weekend. Yeah, what what happened there? Yeah, <laughs> you get some pages from. Uh... Yeah, that's uh, the Road Witch from uh, three, Spicy Pulp three, three and four, uh, because that one's from four, and uh, more Dude Bro from four and three, which is this piece here is inspired by Ernie Chan, and then that piece was also inspired from. Uh, Savage Sword, the classic uh, tied mm-hmm. to a cross or a stake or an X or whatever. Or Check anything, out. yeah. Yeah, just tied to stuff. Yeah. Big old buzzard there, like a cartoon buzzard. I love it. Every time I see a buzzard, all I can all I can hear is is Mortimer Sturge's voice from the uh, when he played when he did the voiceover for the for the baby buzzard. No, 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 no water, no water. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, I like the thing, the throwback they did uh, a while back that they're always, they're they're going back to our childhood, right? And they're saying that a coyote can outrun a roadrunner. So right. their whole childhood was false. You know, right. all these things were thought to believe as a child. <laughs> well, and I see the little warlord in there. I wanted the white hair to be mm-hmm. the warlord thing. It's in the Fred Flintstone pants, uh, loincloth, which I thought was fun too. Um, so it's like little things like that. It's like little the stupid things that go through my head is like, what if Warlord, Fred Flintstone, Conan, and all these other things were in a romantic comedy sword and sorcery thing? Um, but it's not as romantic as uh, as um, it's not a traditional romance, I would say. <laughs> it's very un untraditional. Uh, but they're fun. They're fun characters, and they're fun to put in situations, and it's fun to write things that. Um, you don't get to see. Like I'm like, I would love to see this, and I look for it, and I don't see it. So I'm like, eh, maybe I'll just write it and see if it's you know as entertaining to me or as to other people as it is to me. Uh, so, but so far it has been. It's been it's been kind of fun to see how many people gravitate towards it. Um, and wow. this campaign is doing really well. I was I was talking with another young creator 
um, just the other day about, you know, we, we work with a lot of just everybody, you know, all different sp- stages in their career. And he was talking about how much fun it is for him that he's starting to get the reviews in now, mm-hmm. and, you know, to see his book printed for one thing was, was such yeah, a, that's always huge when that happens. Yeah, that's, that's a, such a huge, and I said, well, relish in this moment, you know, always remember this part of it. And then he starts messaging me about, you know, talking to me about all the different reviews that he's got coming in and, and mm-hmm. it just, you know, each one just kind of builds his enthusiasm and, and it's just it's so it's so nice to be be there with him in that moment to to watch him be successful and to, and that's that's what we have a lot of fun we we love seeing people be successful that's what that's the bottom line and to be a part of you know everything going on with him and be a part of everything going on with you and that's just great for a great feeling for us to see all those things come together um, but yeah it's it's just those different moments that you can pick apart uh, in your career they're just they're just you know something something definitely to uh, memories to take with you. And, and, and we just had a big talk about that the other day about memories about, you know, what are you going to do at the end of everything, right? You're going to, you're going to, do you want to sit around with memories or do you want to talk about all the stuff you got sitting on shelves and on the wall or mm-hmm. share the stories, right? And that's, that's to me what, what this collection is, right? You're sharing all these stories of all these things and all these different experiences and fun things you'd like to see. And that's, that's the big draw to this book for me is all the, the collection of the stories. I just want to keep moving forward. You know, I, I want to, I want to keep challenging myself and keep saying that not to be afraid. I mean, there's a lot of, I, I talk to people. I can't, I mean, for years and years, no matter where I am, whether I'm in a hostel uh, in Alaska or whether I'm in a coffee house in New York, it's always people saying, I have this idea. I, I'm going to do this thing. And I'm always like, well, you just, you got to do it. And like the, the you just got to, hold your breath and jump out of the plane or you have to just say, I'm going to fail, but at least I'm trying it. And then I know that I failed, but after trying instead of failing to do anything. Oh, that, that's awesome advice. But my grandfather used to say, you know, do it. And if you do it wrong, just do something, just, just, just right. want that, you know, get out there and do it. And what was that movie that I was talking about? You know, what are you going to say at the end of it? You know, when they ask you to get in the car, right, this is a scene and it's an action you know, get, or did you get in the car? Did you, did you go for the adventure? Or did you hang back? It's like, you know, it's just too dangerous. I don't want to mess with it. You know, but that's, I, I love that mentality, man. That just, that's, that's what I said. We, when I told you a story about what my wife did with, with this business with NSC and the whole birth of all that, hmm. she said, well, just, just do it. Just, you know, just build, build a better mousetrap, you know? And, and I love her advice in doing it because here we are three years later and, and right. you know, we're getting to do all these fun things with fun people and be a part of it and, and meet people all across the world. And, you know, what if I wouldn't have, right? What if I'd have just kind of said, nah, you know, we're just going to let other people do that and we'll just kind of watch on the sidelines. And, and but no, we're, we're getting a chance to like we are tonight, having a lot of fun talking about experiences, sharing this great book. You know, it's just a, it's just a, a good time. I was like, I remember that scene and, um, the Johnny Cash biopic with Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon when he goes and he's singing that, that gospel hymn. And he's like, well, you're going to sing this song or you're going to sing something that people are going to remember your Johnny Cash. Like, like you can just do this song and sing it the way you want to sing it, or you can be Johnny Cash. And I always think everyone should be Johnny Cash. Like they should just, whoever that is in them. And it's hard because it's scary. And I know people fear failure more than they fear success. Um, which is interesting to me because there's a fine line in there. Like there are people who fail and then they sort of disappear and there are people who succeed and that 
they disappear because they they hold on to their success and think it's more valuable than the next success they're going to have. Like that's the pinnacle of what they achieve. And I'm always like, let's just keep going. Let's just see what happens next because at some point it's just going to, the clock's going to run out and you're not going to make anything else and you're not going to have anything else for people to enjoy or to, to, to read or listen to or whatever. And for me, I'm just like, I can't let people say to me, I can't do it because they can't do it. And then that happens a lot. You know, why do you want to move? Why do you want to move to Washington? It rains there. It's too mossy. You know, like why do, why do you want to move to the South? And, and, and I think that people spend more time is exacerbating why you can't do something instead of just saying, go for it. Good luck to you. And I hope you can, you know, I hope everything works out. So that's the, that's the attitude that I've had for quite a while is just go do it. If you fail, you fail. I mean, everyone fails. It happens all the time, but if you don't do it, you'll never succeed either way. So I don't know. Yeah. Why do you want to move to Texas? Well, I like tacos and barbecue. Oh, but it's hot and there's tornadoes and the people are mean. How do you know if you're going to fit in there? Like everyone tells you something about someplace or something. Because I got it done. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love the episode when Sheldon talks about he's trying to find the safest place in America to live. Oh, yeah. You know, and he's going, this has, like you said, exactly, this has hurricanes and this has tornadoes and this has this and the crime rates this here. And then he finally finds the safest city in the world to go, the safest city in the United States to go to. So you're right. There's, people are going to find something and everything. And and the crazy thing, too, the sad thing about in this business is when you start becoming successful at something, the rocks that get thrown out there. Oh, sure. and, I don't, and I don't want to harp on that, but I mean, when you start to do something that is unique or successful, there is all those other people that are on the sidelines that are saying, like, you're talking about, oh, it's, it's not safe to do that. It's too humid there. Why would you do that? You know, it's it's the, the anti-what-ifs, right? They don't want to do anything. They want to just peel apart or peel away from somebody else. And I would much rather boost somebody up and, and give props and give, yeah. you know, than, than be, be that person. And there's a difference between being competitive and being a jerk because like, a lot of times competitive to some people means that the other person has to, has to have no success because that's taking away from you. But that's not really what it is. I tell my daughter all the time, like, don't worry about what people think of your thing. If you can analyze it and if you think there's validity to it, then take away from that. But don't just sit there and go, someone's saying something bad about me or they don't like my work or they don't like my drawings or whatever and say, I shouldn't do it anymore because there's a lot of stuff in the world that I don't like that many people like and makes lots of money. Um, so I, I can't really, I can't really get down on people about that. I mean, it's easy to do when you're young and angry. I was a young and angry writer getting mad at editors. I didn't know. And I'm a genius. Why isn't anybody recognizing me? And I've seen it over and over again. Um, but the reality is you just have to keep working at it and, you can always get better. And sometimes when people trash you, there's a reason for it. And you got to be able to discern where the validity in the trashing is. And when it's just them trying to do something for themselves based on that. So that, that is, that is very solid advice. That, that's, you know, and, and you got to tell your daughter, she definitely has a career in graphic design from that picture you showed me the other day with the, <laughs> that's, I was like, that's awesome. You know, that age to be able to do that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, she jumped on the computer that we're talking on now. She's like, hang on, let me show you something. And she went to the code and she changed the code. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, all right. <laughs> you know, the, the things that they can do now versus, you know, 
uh, the stuff that we had at our fingertips at that age, right? I mean, it's just right. amazing. But no, it, that's very solid advice, Justin. That's that's I can't say that enough about. You know, there is healthy competition. There's sure. and there's also um, what I like about what we're doing. Everything with with the road show is, you know, we're we're gathering everybody together, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's much more. It's a collective. It's we're saying, okay, let's all get together and let's all share stories, share what books we have out there, you know, and and just build that up together as a team, right? It's it's a, it's much more uh, positive to me to be able to get everybody together and talk well about each other and and, and do these things and have these groups and uh, and get the word out, right? And and grow yeah. the audiences, and that's why we that's why we went ahead and put together the, the group and you know reached out to people like Will that does a great show and has thank you, know, you Will. And it's it's, oh, thank it's, you. it's it's great to be able to get together. Like I love your hex run. <laughs> thank you for that. Oh, yeah. that's Well, I told him that the other day right off. You know, I was like, oh, man, yeah, I'm a hex fan. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> I'll do my fandom moment for a second. I'll, 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 go, I'll get that out of the way. I was lucky. I worked with a lot of amazing people, a lot of amazing editors, writers, I mean, artists, and, and working with Jimmy. And, uh, you know, and being able to piggyback on Fleischer and, and Albano and that was just, it was just a great thing that just kind of happened. And so I'm right very place, happy. Right time. Yeah. And again, it was one of those things I see to put the right people on the right project instead of just slapping names together and saying, well, obviously if we put this person and this person together, it's going to sell a hundred thousand copies. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but. I'm very happy to have had that experience. Well, each, each experience, like you said, you learn something. I mean, I learn something every day. Yeah. You know? And and to be able to take those experiences, good, bad, or other, and just get better each time it is, is you know, a very positive attitude is, is what we try, all try to do, you know, and, and be able to share those things and be able to, like you said, get together and, and, and what we're talking about now. And hopefully there's a young artist, a young creator out there that's just getting into this business that, you know, we'll learn from these discussions and be able to kind of, you know, find his place or her place in the world by doing that. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's also an obligation to be a resource because um, I've definitely been around people who, who have been in the game a long time and they're not a resource to you. They're not because, you know, they don't want and I get it. You don't want to surrender whatever you have. Um, but I don't I don't ever look at it like that. I, I remember there were some arguments about people saying, well, why is why is this superstar doing a Kickstarter who's already selling X amount of books at a mainstream publisher? And I'm just like, that helps everyone because all of a sudden they're looking at it. Like they don't have to go to mainstream publisher to get books that they like. And here's a platform where they can be as much of a reader or fan or fanatic or whatever level of participation they want to have in the industry that doesn't require them to do the same sort of archaic system of consumerism and 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 i think that's great so anybody that brings more and more attention to different platforms anything that gets more comics made and more comics into people's hands as readers i am not going to have a, a problem with that yeah one one word berserker <laughs> and you know in in typical fashion what's what's there like 32 covers coming out I, you know, I honestly, because I have no investment in those things, I don't pay attention to them anymore. So any of the, whatever is happening outside of what I'm doing or what I see in the indie market, or obviously there's a, a core group of people that I know in, 
in Kickstarter. I don't really focus on that stuff. So I have no idea what most of those things are, or what's happening. And people are always like screaming about something happening in, in some fandom. And my daughter was the one that pointed it out to me. I guess I've been kind of head up my ass about it, but she's always talked about toxic fandoms. And she's like, well, I like this. And we talk about that, but there's toxic parties. And, uh, and I'm always like, I didn't really thought about it. Like I never really it just, it's not who I am to be like, let's be toxic about something. I mean, I may not like something. I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan ever. And I appreciate the fact that millions and millions of people love every little minutia about Star Wars. And I might like one or two things about it. But I'm not going to sit here all day long and tell you that you shouldn't love what you love. Um, so w whenever people are like, well, how do you feel about this? I'm like, honestly, it, first of all, the most brutal thing I can say is it doesn't make me any money. So like, I, I'm not going to waste energy worrying about what money is being made by some corporation or multinational conglomerate when I'm just saying, I just want to make comics and get them out there to people. Uh, so I, I think on the one hand, that probably hurts me, I guess, in, in some regard, but in the other regard, I'm like, we just got to watch out for, you know, what's important to us and, and to myself and to the people that support me are the number one people that I like, if they're mad, then I want to find out why they're mad and fix it. But if they're mad about something else that has nothing to do with me, then that's fine. That's, that's cool, I guess. Oh yeah. I, I had a long discussion with my son the other day about talking about, you know, the, the, and he's the one that brought it up. I mean, he's at that age, right? That, that 21, 22 year old age where they just, they want to really get engaged with politics and religion and money. Mm -hmm. And that's not me, you know? So, but you know, you, you get engaged with these conversations with your kids and, and he was talking about all this kind of stuff and he invests and everything. He was talking about everything with SpaceX mm. and how now, you know, now um, Elon Musk has made that other $145 million and now he's bumped gates down and now he's number two. And the guy that did Amazon is number one. And we, we had that little bit of a discussion. So, well, you know, yeah, it's, it's that, but I said, what if his spaceship would have blown off the pad? You know, yeah. he, he wouldn't have got the 145. He wouldn't be up there you know, he would be, he would be wiped out. I said, because they, they, they did have errors. They did have problems. They did, they did blow some rockets up, you know? Um, and they and had God forbid some people got killed and then all of a sudden the perception would be, Oh, we can't trust this. Or, you know, and then stock starts to plummet in your mind. Like, yeah. Everything is so fragile, especially when you get yes. to those levels. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and that's what we, we talked about that. And we talked about, you know, um, I do a lot of work in the nuke industry and stuff and, and the whole nuclear renaissance and they talked about you know how we were talking about how, how scared people were of nuclear in mm -hmm. the 70s right with everything that happened with the, you know chernobyl and three mile island and how the media came in and really you know really pushed the mark on that um but you know nobody talks about that you know it's really just basically superheating water and making a steam plant you know that that, that never makes the news yeah. you know when something you know when hiroshima you know, the, the, they talk about that in nuclear respects and the, you know, all these people picketing about, you know, no more nukes, no more. Well, when you build a nuke plant, you that's that's not military grade nuke, right? That's not, we're not building bombs. We're superheating water. You know, I, I've had to point that out to people all the time. When, you know, I'm coaching my kid's baseball game or something like, right. oh, nuke plant, huh? Well, you know, you're over there making arms. At, no. <laughs> right. We don't, have the, we don't have anything to do with that. We're just, we're built, we're providing energy. So, you know, like you said, it's funny because that's part of like with the standstill, that's a major thing because I live right. I live by Indian point. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's literally, it takes me no time to drive there and I've been researching it and, and you know, they want to shut it down or they want to change it and they do those marches and stuff. 
Um, and it is superheating water and it is, it isn't the same exact thing. Um, but it's interesting to me when you think about, cause I was researching for the story, how many nuclear power plants there are on the planet yep. and just like how many airplanes are up in the sky, how many fatal crashes there are is a small percentage of what they sensationalize, just like everything oh, yeah. else. I mean, whatever yeah. sells papers or whatever puts eyeballs on the TV. There's, there's something there's something you can go into, they call it human performance. And you talk about, you know, error traps. And you talk about, uh, and this is all nuclear theory stuff, but you can always talk about um, um, its behaviors. So you talk about, you know, hey, you know, the odds are, if you do this repetitive thing so many times, these errors, this number of errors will happen. Right. And it's the errors that in that, okay, you don't want your your pilot to be that guy. You don't want your doctor to be that guy. You don't want the person prescribing your medicine or delivering your child to be that guy. Right. right? That's that's when it really sinks in. That's kind of like, you know, um, and I don't think people sometimes realize too much about the world around them until it affects them like this. And I don't want to dwell on it, but like I compare COVID to cancer, right? If it doesn't affect you or you haven't had somebody you know right. die from it, you're like, oh, well, it's just this kind of a super flu thing, right? But if you have like myself and other people involved, sure. people, people watching, people that you know that have died from it, family members and friends and stuff, or yeah. you know, it, it becomes a real thing, you know. And and like we talked about, you know, earlier about going through the, the airports at LAX and, and Atlanta, it's ridiculous right now. Like the what's going on here versus what's going on in South Carolina. Like here in Washington, everything's locked down. You can't go eat anywhere. You can't go. You know, you can't have gatherings. You can't do this, that, and the other. But on the East Coast, it's a party. You know, hot tubs are open and the pools open and restaurants are open. And we're so far apart in that, you know. And, and that's some of the other debates that and talks about have with my kids, you know, about just what's going on. And, and, you know, that's where, you, again, you get these toxic environments, right? You start seeing all this hate stuff about about things. But I mean, that's, that's a, like a universal thing is that people say it's not happening to me, so it's not it doesn't matter. Exactly. I mean, no matter what, what topic to. you can pick throughout history, yep. Um, you can say, you know, something that's happening in another country, a genocide. Oh, that's that's their problem, you know. Yeah. And then it, when it gets smaller and smaller, and it's the town over mm-hmm. or it's the block over, then people start to panic, and by that point, it's too late. Which is, you know, I mean, again, not to dwell on this stuff, but it's kind of like that's story fuel for me. That's like drama. That's stuff yeah, that I'm like. There, there's a county in Colorado was just a couple counties over from where we were living that there was citizens on the border with guns and said, if you don't have any family here or don't live here, you have no business yeah. coming into our county, period. Right. And that's pretty much, uh, that's back to, um, uh, what's that movie um, uh, with, the, with, the, with the, first it was a baseball bat and then it was a sawed off log. And what's the walking tall? Walking it's, tall. Yeah, yeah, walking tall mentality, right? You know, this is my town and you're not coming in it for any reason. Um it's funny, years and years ago, um, early 90s, and I had been driving um, from Seattle heading back to Colorado, but I stopped in, I think it's it was either Montana or Wyoming, and it was this, like, pulled into this small town, and, it, and this is going to sound so weird, but it was like, like strangers ma like the like oh outsiders or like even to the point where I, I used to make a joke i'm like you're white but you're not the right kind of white and because you have different views about things or you you're like i had a mohawk and i was like whatever i was a kid and it's like 
people develop these sort of tribal isolationist things, which again is great story fodder. It's great material um, that has been used to great effect in things like Walking Dead. Um, and and I and it's, it's unfortunate. It's fun to do it as fiction because you're sort of picking apart things and human psychology. Um, I like to do that um, when I'm, you know, I mean, not everything is escape is fun, but sometimes I like to write things where I'm deconstructing human psychology and it's just, it's just crazy at this point. I'm at a point, and especially after the last several years, I'm like, I just really would like to see people come together. I would like to yeah. see a gathering of, of, of like-minded. You don't necessarily have to all agree with each other. And I definitely have friends I agree with and friends I don't agree with at all, but I don't say I can't be friends with you because I disagree with you. I can only say, I just wish you would see things a different way or, you know, but at the end of the day, like, the idea is that, especially in a situation where you're supposed to be united, you need to step back and say, let's take a look at our differences and try and figure out who's who's stoking the fires of what is causing us to have a rift. Um, it's like when you when you were like a kid and like you'd have a best friend and then you'd have a new best friend and they would stoke the fire between to see who was going to be the one that was really your best friend. To be doing that, to see that happen on such a large scale at, you know, I'm, I'm not as young as I would like to be. It's kind of weird. And it's kind of like, no, we shouldn't do that. And like, I think that people should, people in a position to say, it doesn't have to be that way should be the one stepping up and saying, let's be more mature. You wish they would. Cause like I said earlier, just the, just the differences in how everybody's handling this situation. Right. It's so far apart right now. It's just, it's, it's scary. And <clears throat> my mind went into comic mode when, um, when I was getting off one of the planes, because of course, and luck of the draw, I end up with the guy, right? I get in with chin strap guys, the one sitting next to me, because he hadn't bought a new mask in eight months. And it's, of course, it's sag, mm -hmm. oh, chin strap guys. It's sagged down, right? So all it's doing is covering their chin and the, their <laughs> mouth and the nose is all exposed. I'm like, you know, that is all kind of interconnected, right? You know, th that doesn't do anything that for anybody. That doesn't help anybody. So anyway, I've got chin strap guys sitting beside me on the plane. And they, they, the stewardess came by several times and told him, well, when we go to, to, to D plane, and I'm, I think I was in um, Seattle and I'm trading planes around. I've got to get on, you know, I got a, a short layover. So I got to try to get to the next plane. So I jump up, grab the overhead, grab my bag down. And thank God I stood up because at that point, chin strap guy coughs. Mm. And when he coughs, it, it, I feel the heat on my elbow. So immediately my mind starts racing around. I paint the visual. Mm. And, I, and you know, in the in the comic side of me, you you just feel the skin just peel off your bone, you know, with this this toxic breath, right? You know, so I get back in the airport and I just just bathe my whole right side with with sanitizer, you know, and then I see the guy walking through the airport with the full face shield like you see in a, in a plant somewhere with HEPA filters on the side, you know, and I'm oh like, I just got through dealing with chin strap guy. And here's a guy that could like fly with a space shuttle. Right. I mean, it's just, it's so far apart from each right. other now. And it's just, it, it's its own comic relief. I mean, just to survive the the travel right now. And and if it wouldn't have been for, for, you know, having to go check on my dad and, and if it wasn't for family and, and, and these funerals, I would have, I would have not gone out and ventured forth, but it's almost like you said, it's, it's a bunch of material that yeah. you you could de deconstruct and talk about and you and I could talk offline. There's there, there may be a story there because I just keep going back to these images in my mind of 
you know, how far removed we are from from this this way we should be versus how we're how we're all treating each other right now. It's just it's just not good times. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm hopeful that we're gonna we're gonna start making head road inroads to all that stuff and you know. I, I have to remain hopeful because I mean I'm a, I'm a pessimist and cynical at nature, but I, I can't I can't do that anymore. You know I got to worry about you know we worry about the future, we worry about our kids, we worry about the planet, and so I'm hoping that it, things are going to get better, and yeah, I, I think I, they are. I, it's a page turner. I hope it's a, the page is turned, and we're in a new chapter, and we're in a new book, and and we're just we can go back and say remember when right that was a that right. was a past tense thing so yeah i'm with you on that one which is why i write tongue-in-cheek stories about lady redbeard who really doesn't have a beard and um yeah you know, so i don't know it's it's fun stuff and I, I i hope that that brings some release and some entertainment to people that that are kind of tired of of everything else regardless of whether it's the the world or comics in general or just want some kind of relief from the seriousness of everything well it was, it was a great i got a chance to read this amongst all what i just told you so it was it yeah. was a great time for me to be able to kind of decompress from that and kind of get into this book and, and you know read the different you know went through the, the series with them so yeah it was definitely definitely good timing for okay. that i had a lot of fun i mean there's some crazy stuff that happens in this I was like trying to think of things like you would never see and you would never see a personal zeitgeist unit or a pozo trying to trying to correct rehabilitate prisoners who have committed time crimes. Um, but it's been it's been fun. It's been fun to just sort of turn the side of the brain that we were just occupying off and just say, let's just do some zany and crazy and sexy and fun and and I was trying to explain, I had done a, a podcast before this and I was discussing the fact that she's naked for like 25 pages out of 30 and how that's not gratuitous or not part of the actual story because it, it absolutely is. But I thought it'd be fun. And we were discussing how Den uh, from Heavy Metal is naked all the time. Um, so I'm like, it's it's okay for, for you. To, if it's funny and you do it the right way, then it's not offensive or gross or just done just to put seats, you know, put asses in the seats, um, which is fun for me. I like to do little puzzle things like that when I, when I work on stuff is to come up with ways to circumvent stereotypes. Um, so hopefully that works. Hopefully that, that comes off that way. So well, that's, that's the one that I've got. Um, I know one of the guys that had to do with, with heavy metal and that was all created and I got to find it. Like, I like, I feel, I feel like will right now it's in a box runner somewhere and I got to get it out. But yeah, um, really, I've got one of the original, um, the the things you always used to get in the movies, right? That talked about what was coming up and what the movies were. Right. One of the original movie deals from Heavy Metal, and he did, um, he he did a, a drawing of Den over in the corner of it, so it's it's got the remark of Den on it. Wow. So, um, so Rusty did that for me the other day. So I, that's another one of those things that has to grace the wall. A lot oh, of yeah, that's awesome. Stuff and, and it's gonna and it's gonna grace the wall with the the books I'm gonna get signed from you. So they're all gonna. I have a signed wall of all the different you know, artists that we've dealt with over the years. And then I've got a, um, a birthday wall, which is the, the month and year I was born is mm -hmm. all the different issues that came out, uh, during that month and year. And when I tell people about people that collection, oh, that's a really fun collection to do. Mm -hmm. you know, there's that one. And I thought about another one the other day I want to do, I want to recreate the rack that was there 
when I started getting into comics. So I'm uh, of the day and the month that that you know um, Comico came out with the Justice Machine too. So I'm going to take that year imprint and month and go find all the different ones that would have been out on the shelf at that time. And I'm going to uh, I'm going to do it either in a spinner rack or a flat rack, and we'll put it up in the office as just kind of a memory piece, just to to remember back when I got back into comics. So very cool. Yeah, Thirteenth cool. Dimension does a does a great uh, piece that they've been putting out like uh, every week or like every other week of you know the top 13 books that you know came out this week mm -hmm. in like 1972 or you know 1948 or or whatever and it, it's just really cool to look back at the covers and oh yeah i'm always pulling that stuff out of cracker barrel you know those things what happened in 1973 you know and, and flipping through it and seeing what the newspaper ads were and I was very fortunate growing up because both my wife, my, my, both my my wife's uh, family did part of it, and then my mom did it, and my grandma did it, and they kept journals. Mm. So I can go back to the the day I was born and see, you know, what the weather was and what was going on and what they had going on for that day, and you know, those kind of fun, cool things. Um, just snapshots in time, right? You know, it's just all it's all just a bunch of snapshots. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's very cool. I like that. I just want to run down uh, all the different tiers that you got going on for uh, yeah. issue number five here so people can grab a uh, Spicy Pulp number five PDF for $5. Yeah. You can get the print version for $20. There's and two different covers at $20. And, and the thing about this is that I'm excited because this is the first time I've been able to do add-ons. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're not seeing on this initial page. Um, so if you if you pledge for for this cover, you have access to add on the trades, uh, alternate covers, special covers, the pins, the magnets, all of those things become uh, things you can add to your pledge. Um, so like I, I've noticed very much in this that there are a lot of new backers who are grabbing up the trades. Um, mm -hmm. which is very exciting to me. Uh, it's, it's nice to see, obviously, more and more people um, joining the ranks of reading Spicy Pulp. I mean, I have such a tremendous base of people that come back time after time um, who I'm hugely appreciative for. And it's also nice to see that, you know, the word's getting out there and there, and there are people saying, oh, well, this looks cool. And look, there's this whole library of stuff. I mean, it's literally, you know, one's a 124-page trade, the other one's 120-page on top of the new 64 page issue five and then all the other different, you know, if you're, if you're strictly a reader, you can read everything. If you're a collector and there's little things you want to add to that, you can add that. Um, there's different types of covers and, and, and if there's people who want to who want everything. Um, so it's nice to have that opportunity now before I had to do it all myself. And I would just have to say, send me a message and I'll, I'll put your books together and try and remember, you know, out of these, you know, between five and 900 people, which ones, who's going to get what. And, yeah. and now it's kind of nice that everything's right there for them to do that. So you can get the PDFs, you can get all five. Oh, nice. Um, and if you, and it's especially for the um, overseas backers, which it pains me to no end. It infuriates me mm -hmm. that I'm, I don't have access to an entire planet of readers because the postal system is just so, and it just went up again. So it went up. Yeah. Oh. 
after I already set up all my tier levels of what the postage is going to cost for international backers, um, it's almost $40 for under two pounds to send anything overseas to anywhere but Canada. Ouch. And like, like that's not fair for them. I mean, no matter what, like regardless of how messed up I think it is, like why, like they, they can't even have access to material that they want because in Canada, Canada, really? It costs $20 to mail something to Canada? I mean, you does it cost it to send it to Michigan? No. It's crazy. And they have to figure out a way to fix that. So it pains me all the time. So the PDFs and the digital stuff is great for them. But I, I know that so many of them want to have um, physical copies. Yeah. I wish they, they had, uh, you know, reputable... Uh, print on demand services like they like I know there's one uh that uh Connor from Swords of Silence uses uh -huh. down in Florida because that's where I got my books from they and they do the fulfillment forum plus the plus they do all the you know they do all the print on demand plus when he finishes the you know so people can order it after the fact but when he finishes the uh the campaign once everything's right. done he sends his final numbers in and you know, for everybody in like the lower forty-eight, they they print and go there. That's that's one of the things we've been talking about because I in is in one week I had eight different calls about fulfillment, and we don't we don't do a fulfillment house, but uh, I'm looking into it because in the cross as far as fulfillment houses over since we have the other uh, side of us that's working over in Ireland right now or other one of our other divisions. You know, we have the capabilities to do stuff over there. So we're talking about this. Well, whoever's in this continent has this kind of, you know, print area. We're talking with some people down in Australia right now about doing some things down there. That way, like you said, you don't have to run these huge, you know, postal costs. You know? Yeah, the, the problem is, and, the, and there has to be a better inroad. The, the, the idea for me would be to have an inroad into um, Amazon where you can just use their network of distribution, which is, is infinitely better than what exists. Um, I had tried Ingram Spark, which has printers all over the place, but they, the paper quality is not anywhere near what you want. Yeah. So while I could do hard covers and soft covers and everything else, the paper is essentially just like watered down cardboard. It doesn't, it, it's, it doesn't grab the color. It's not glossy and they don't, they don't um, customize their stuff to, um, comic size. So it, then it becomes this sort of seven by 10 thing um, instead of traditional what modern comics are. So you have all these elements uh, where ultimately distribution, they, they have third party distributors and you're still taking a hit on all that stuff. Whereas I can see that if you do um, Amazon because of the way their network is set up, which the USPS and everyone else should be somebody should come up and say, we're going to do Amazon's model. And I know they don't have Amazon's money, but the other side, it's just, it's, you're still dealing with middlemen and the costs are still there regardless of who does fulfillment and, and all those other things. So you still face that problem of how expensive it is to ship overseas with any kind of weight and reliability. Well, that, that might be a string to pull because I went to high school with one of the guys that's in, in one of the over part of the, the distribution for Amazon. There's a big Amazon 
um, distribution center here in Washington. We drive past it all the time. Yes. And he right. drives up here to talk with them about it. And that might be, that's a good idea. That might be a conversation I need to have with him next time he comes up this way. It's just yeah. their infrastructure is so much True. more solid um, than everything else. And they're not beholden to these sort of international, whatever the, the, the postal thing that we set up internationally is archaic and it doesn't work anymore. And that's why they keep raising the price every year. For the last four years, it's gone up and up and up. And while it's only gone up nine cents here, like I said, it went from 26. I, I, I have to look at it, but it went, Canada was 19 a month ago, and now it's 20-something. And I think international, went, it was 26 to like Australia. So I think it's closer to it's closer to 40 than it was before, which is, is nuts. It doesn't help anyone. <laughs> it kills small business. I, I don't know. I don't know what this fear of, of, I mean, it's capitalism. We are a capitalistic country. So we should be thinking about how we can maximize our revenue across the entire planet for small businesses, as well as we do it for large corporations. I don't see the downside on that. I don't see someone on Etsy being able to sell globally and make a profit a problem for anything. No, and that's and that's why that's why part of the mentality when, when we decided to go ahead and, and move forward with Inked was the fact that you know we had a chance to and be involved with and I've sat in all the big, huge, multi-million-dollar marketing uh, deals for like Sprint PCS and, and casinos and banks and all these huge global deals and figured out and was there, right? It did it of all how they marketed. And right. now I was able to bring that back to small business, right? We're all small business here and, and able to do those same sorts of aspects and marketing and how all these different formulas work for a, a, something that we love, right? Comics. And that's, right. that's you're, you're right. It, we, we've got to find a better way to do a better mousetrap on the shipping game because I ship all the time and, and I'm running the same things right now, you know, and that's why I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, we moved 3000 books uh, for top dog, which is the comic side of the industry that we have. And, and that was a scramble. I mean, I'm, I'm shipping, you know, 10 short boxes of comics. And just like you said, watching the rate, just keep, Oh my God, it's insane. You know? Mm -hmm. And then of course, to the end part of it is you're trying to deal with the persons, the, the people that bought all these books and, and they're buying them a short box at a time or a couple of them were long boxes that went out. And, and to try to figure out where the margins are at with the, with this moving target of shipping is just is just a, a, an extra added headache in small business right now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so far out of control. Yeah, I just feel bad for the people that want the books. I mean, I yeah. want them to get the books. And, and I'm a page turner. I, I mean, I, I see digital, I read digitals all the time. Yeah. but I'm an old school page turner. I just that's just 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 my preference. And I'm not, but I, I appreciate it. And like, I want to be able to do all of it. Like I, I, I prefer to digital, but I would much rather like give people what they want and right. whatever it is and not be hindered by some ridiculous archaic system that says it costs so much money to go through all these loopholes and all these tariffs and all this other nonsense. Um, but we just keep going and we'll get there. Yeah. We'll, we'll find a better mousetrap, but let's go ahead and knock out some more of your, your tears and talk about, okay. you know, some of these covers you got going and i mean there's some good stuff here yeah so uh we've got uh volume one the lady red beard uh, 120 page square bound uh trade 
for $25. I should have brought one of them up. I have them in the basement. Um, but yeah, I, ha I have the ones I have to do, uh, print the twos after we get the numbers from this. Um, but I've, like I said, I've seen a lot of uptick in people wanting to get the whole collection, um, which means that normally they haven't um, read a spicy pulp book at all. Um, and there's like, you know, I have all kinds of, you can't even see my thing is just terrible. Anyway. Well, um, let's blow you up. I don't know if it's still going to be too bright, but I mean, this is, this is the second issue of variant cover. I don't have this one available on this particular campaign. This is a French. Oh, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm trying to look for stuff everywhere. I'm in the dark too. Um, but yeah, so the, the two trades, uh, the first one is Lady Redbeard, the complete story, plus a bunch of standalone um, short science fiction stories and the beginning of the Mecca Monroe um, story. And then the second one has The Road Witch, which is another complete story uh, told in two parts, but for this, obviously, it's combined. And then it's the introduction of Dude Bro the Barbarian, uh, which his story concludes in five, this one that we're doing now. Mm -hmm. And um, Mecca Monroe continues on for a few more uh, issues, I think. And there's different, you know, a bunch of different covers. Uh, Antonio Brandao has done a bunch of different covers for me. Yeah, he's got the ho hollow foil. Yep, he's going to do the hollow foil. And there's going to be some spot finishes, a hollow foil for Ricardo Sanchez. Yep. And uh, Cavill. Caval and um, yeah, Caval has a uh, has a virgin hollow foil cover. Yeah, no text on that one. And it's just going to just be his art and uh, Slamet's coloring. And as you can see, there's add-ons, and that's where that comes in because a couple times people are like, "Well, how, when is the where's the tier for everything?" Um, and a particular one person today, they had uh, they I guess they kind of placeholder a, a uh, the one dollar pledge. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that you can access the add-ons with the one dollar pledge. So I had to explain to him that if he backs, you know, any one of the other um, physical pledges, that he'll have access to adding all the other ones. And I had now, someone reach out to me. Can we could, see? Can we see the uh, you, the add-ons through the updates? You can't actually. Um, oh. You can see. You can only see the add-ons when you pledge for. If like, if you just pledge for issue five, you'll see all of them. Right. Okay. It's, it's still in beta test mode, isn't it? Is that what the... It is. It yeah. is. Uh, yeah. I finally um, was able to access that. I probably could have done it in the last one, and I was just too caught up in what, being used to. I mean, this is the 13th that I've done by myself, and I did probably, I think, seven or eight with Jimmy Palmiotti. Um, and we didn't have any access to that stuff uh, earlier on. But, yeah, we've, uh, I mean, that's it's somewhere close to 20 successful Kickstarters between myself doing it by myself and doing it with Jimmy. And, um, no, it's great. I mean, I can't say, I can't say enough about Kickstarter and, and how great it's been to have this opportunity to reach out to the audience and to find uh, a really loyal core fa you know, fan base that, you know, comes back. And like I said, I do all kinds of different books. I mean, I did all, uh, I did a novel and people showed up and backed that. I did an all ages oversized graphic novel and um, 
you know, I just, it's just so nice to be able to have that creative outlet in ways that you just don't have to. I always call it the ZZ Top thing, where ZZ Top just basically had one song and they kept making albums with that one song. And I'm always like, I want to make, you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm anything, but I, I, I prefer the Beatles model where they would just try stuff and just keep trying to grow and trying to do different things and not just say, we're going to make the ZZ Top album. And as much as I love ACDC, a lot of the ACDC stuff is all the same. They had a formula and it worked and they just kept doing it. Um, but for me, I like to just constantly do different things, try different voices, try different mediums, try different genres. And um, like this next thing is it's called Alien Exchange Student. And it's basically an out of work dad who's trying to provide for his family decides to bring a, a, an exchange student into his home because it's going to make him $500 a month. And it ends up being an alien. And the only one that realizes he's an alien is his son. And he's just baffled by why no one else in the world, including TSA agents at the airport and the internet doesn't understand that this is an alien here to invade us. And everyone thinks the alien's great and the kid's crazy. Um, so like, I can't do that kind of thing. I couldn't go, I couldn't go to image and say, look, I have this idea for alien exchange student and it's a comedy and it's for kids and, and it would make a great animated series and have them go, Oh yeah, that's great. You know, you're wonderful. Let's just do that. Um, cause it's just, things don't always work that way. But I know with Kickstarter, if I throw it out there and if people like it, they'll back it. And that's all, that's all the proof in the pudding that I need is that if it's, if it's, if people want it, they'll come and get it. If they don't want it, it'll die. And that's the end of it. And I prefer that sort of testing ground for doing work than, you know, because I've done the other thing where uh, we recently just got back GI Zombie from DC. And we love, Jimmy and I love GI Zombie. We created it together and we put this book together and, and um, they didn't really know what to do with it. And so it's nice to have that back and to say, okay, well, now we can do stuff with GI Zombie. So that kind of stuff is, is again, what Kickstarter can bring, not just to myself, but other creators who think they have an idea that maybe isn't going to sell anywhere or maybe isn't, you know, the mainstream isn't ready for. You're, you're, the, you're the second creator I've talked to this week that's bought back something they've created at some point in time in their career. So oh, yeah. those opportunities are definitely nice to have. And then the other key thing I think you hit on is the fact that with this, with being an indie creator that you, you, you have, you know, you talked about the papers. That's the other thing that other creators and I talk about all the time. In fact, you get to pick everything, right? It's, it's right. all an, an all-encompassing creation. It's not just the writing or the art. It's a combination of the paper and, like you said, the gloss and the thickness, whether I do a cardstock cover, you know, if I do whatever the the, the, the amount of pages that you want to do in the pagination. And that's, that's all open to right. what you as a creator want to envision and put out there for a product. And that's... That's yeah, you have complete thing. control over yes. the entire project, merchandising, you know, everything. I would rather live by the sword and die by the sword than have some kind of corporate structure decide that it doesn't work for them. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's always, it's always been, I've always been very aware of the fact that in certain kinds of cultures, the person behind you is trying to trip you up so they can get in front of you. And in this, again, it's the audience decides, the, the, the readers, the buyers, the consumers, however you want to phrase it, they decide whether you live or die based on what you do and not what your 
put in a position to do, or you, you have to make sacrifices or you have to say, well, you know, the publishing plan or the branding doesn't, you can't go against branding. And um, I, I really like that. And I, I know it's probably crazy to most people because I know a lot of people like security and there's a lot more security in doing it the other way. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like if I fail, I, I tried and I failed on my own merit then, and I succeed on my own merit rather than it being something else. That's, that's definitely an admirable way to look at it because it's, it's, um, it's a tall order and, and it's not one of those kind of things. It's not for everybody. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great when things come together and, and everything's hitting on all cylinders. Right. I mean, it's, it's a great, uh, I always kind of, since I built, you know, cars all my life, I kind of compare the whole, um, assembly of a comic and the marketing of it and everything is basically building a motor, right? You, you have all these moving parts and they all have to do certain things at certain times and the clearances have to be just right. But man, when it's all firing on all cylinders and, and ripping down the track, I mean, it's really something. And that's the, the, we're at the point with this book where it's just ripping down the track. And that's, that's an awe inspiring thing to see. It's, it's fun. It's great. And um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it any other way at this point for sure. And definitely let me know when you do something with GI Zombie because I actually bought that book. <laughs> that was fun. I just reread a bunch. Like some sometimes you get so separated from things um, that you go back and you read them and you're like, oh wait, this was terrible, or oh, I really was hitting on something here. Um, that happened recently with uh, Random Acts of Violence. Uh, I told Jay Baronshell that his version of the book is better as as the film than than we did and the jimmy and i were talking i'm like i hadn't read random acts of violence since 2008 and then i watched jay's interpretation in the film and i was like i'm digging this i'm like it's it's doing stuff that i like the idea was there but the execution didn't happen in the comic the way that that he kind of picked up on it and i said to him like i i think i like your version better and it's a weird thing to say to someone that, you know, oh, you, you made an adaptation of something I did, you know, but I feel like he had the, the, he had the space and the detachment from it to look at it objectively and go, this is what works. This is just, this is stuff that this is fat that needed to be trimmed. So it's kind of fun. But when I went back and started rereading GI zombie, I was like, Oh my God, this book was so much fun. That's probably why it failed. <laughs> <laughs> it just had it just had the wrong audience yeah it was just well okay some of the wrong audience because that was part of that audience right but i mean it wasn't it, it's not a, it's not a superhero universe comic at all mm -hmm. I mean, well i looked at it when i when i saw the first one on the on the rack at the shop i looked at it i go gi zombie and all i could think was it's somewhere between GI combat and and I Zombie. I'm like, well, I love GI combat. I missed that book, so grab hey, it. I go, yeah, put me down for this one too. It's funny because it was a joke. Jimmy and I were joking around with Dan DeDio, and it was like, like, why do you want to name a book this? You might like, why well, we just call anything anything? Let's just call it GI Zombie. And Dan's eyes got like this big, and he was like, "GI Zombie." And we're like, "Yeah, yeah, GI Zombie." Like, it was initially just that same kind of sense of, just why can't we do this? Like, if you want to be absurd or you want to throw two words together or have fun with something, 
how do you not do GI zombie? And that that's I'm worried that that kind of thing, that kind of mentality in the in the mainstream is probably getting marginalized over time because these corporations are so much larger and there's so much more into licensing and taking the characters and saying, how do we put them into every demographic possible to generate revenue? And it's that well, kind of- I always go back to the, the, the ad lib moments in movies that mm-hmm. really, that really, I'm a big movie buff and, and that, 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 you know, history buff and movie buff. So the, I like these historical moments in movies that, you know, like, um, you know, uh, when when uh, Richard Pryor and, and, and Gene Wilder are coming through and, and talking and, and just doing the whole prison scene, right? And stir crazy. Stir crazy, right. That's just them riffing for 10 minutes, walking down the, the, the walkway, talking about getting put into prison and about how bad they are, you know, and that stuck. That became a thing. Right. Um, they told, uh, you know, in Smoking the Bandit with, with the sheriff, they, they told Jackie Gleason, just cuss a lot. Just, just. And that's what he did. That was his only art direction in the entire smoking the bandit thing was just just cuss a lot, just just be have fun with it. And that was it. That's what he he ad libbed every line in that show. You know, and you could just go back to all these different movie moments, you know, when uh and you know, I've got an Indiana Jones figure sitting off to the side here. When Indiana Jones, you know, they, they got the guy that does all the things with the swords, right? You just he's it and he just pulls out a gun and shoots him. <laughs> that was an ad lib moment. That was just something that was done, you know. Um, it's like uh, David Lynch with happy accidents. Yeah. 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 All, all those kind of things. You're just like, it works. That's it actually, works. that's actually how I've been working for the last two years, essentially just giving the artist the most basic, you know, like Stanley Jack Kirby script. This is what happens in this issue. This is what happens across these two or three pages. Mm-hmm. And it's just a chunk of text and then I just go back in and look at the art, and I'm like, "Whoa, I didn't think of this." He drew it a certain way. I'm like, "Now I can make a joke here, or I, now I have a moment to do, breathe." And um, I, after writing, like, I started out writing really dense scripts where it was just like, "There's no art. <laughs> like, the balloon is this big, and there's like little characters scrunched on in the in the corner." To um, to being like. If I just give you this, let's just figure out where it goes from there. And sometimes it's brilliant, and sometimes it is not. It's a lot of work, and I'm like, can you just redraw this? But more than more often than not, lately it's been this sort of situation where it's so fresh and organic and fluid that I I, I don't know why it didn't work that way before, other than I wasn't allowed to. Yeah, that's. I think that's the biggest problem in you know not just the comic field, but, you know, many other fields too, that, you know, it's like, there's this strict code of conduct and, you know, they want everybody, you know, shoulders back, chest out, and, you know, at attention 24 seven, instead of, you know, giving, you know, creators any creativity, really. It's very much, it's very much a, uh, I want to say a COVID style environment, you know, stay six feet apart and here's your oh. dot. Don't move off your dot. And and if you don't, if you, if you, you know, I love the one when you're walking in Walmart and they have, the, they, they tried at some point <clears throat> to direct traffic in Walmart mm-hmm. and, you, you know, and people would give you the eye, right? If you're going up the way, the wrong way, right. You're disrupting the social system. And, uh, 
I joked with one of the, what I call them secret shoppers, the guys that run around, guys and girls that run around with all the blue totes and they're shopping for right somebody that ordered online. Yeah. And, and they're, they're, they're havoc in the stores to me. I mean, they're running to people's carts and they're doing all kinds of crazy things and the stores are filling up with them. But anyway, one of them was zipping down the aisle and they're zipping down the wrong way. <laughs> and I, was, I just had to laugh at that for a moment. And I, and I picked with him. I was like, you know what? You're kind of breaking your own rules at this point. Well, it's funny because that's what I do um, all the time. And it started out where everyone was freaking out all the time if you were going the wrong way. And it was like there were varying levels of hysteria where it was like mumbling and then it was screaming. Um, and then everyone sort of started to like ease off on it. And yeah. everyone was like, fucking, I'm just going to do whatever. Yeah, it's, it's like when toilet paper was gone, right? The first uh, I've got video. When, when the first two weeks everything hit, and, and we were still in Colorado, and Colorado became a hot spot instantly for this thing. And I've got video I posted up on Facebook, and I'm just, I get, I think I went there for like ink cartridges for the printer. I didn't even need groceries at the point. Hmm. And I'm just walking up the aisles going, check this out. And then there's just, I mean, there's no trace of toilet paper. No. Um, and what was funny was when we had the kids come up for Christmas, I think I bought like 200 rolls of toilet paper. Like when it when it surfaced again, and that, that's that's on comedy shows now where they're sitting on whole pallets of toilet paper, you know, right. that they've ordered. But yeah, it's it's a thing, right? I mean, if we'd have been in the if we'd had stock in toilet paper and Clorox, we'd all be retired. You could write whatever you want, and and you you know, it all just be for fun at that point. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it was I, I actually it was the best thing that could happen to me. Oh yeah, we're going against the grain, right? Man, it's weird. It's I mean, I lost thirty four pounds. I was like out of the house all the time. Um, I don't. It just it worked out really well, and I know a lot of people really suffer. And I and and I can't. I mean, I'm in no position to get COVID. I do not have the health system for it. No, um, no, no, yeah. But I had to go. I had to go do it because things happened, and, and the security and everything that was going on in our lives, and the health insurance, and everything went right out the window. Yeah. And um, I was like, well, I can either sit here on the couch waiting for something to happen, or I can go do something and just hope for the mm -hmm. best. Um, but back to your thing about the aisle stuff. At a certain point, I was kind of like, I'm in seven supermarkets a day, shopping all the time. No one gets mad at the employees. So I was like, think of me as an employee because they used to yell at me. And I used to wear this mask because my daughter had all these um, anime masks and it had a big smile on it. Mm -hmm. And people used to just savage me all the time. They used to talk trash to me. They used to be like, wow. you need to slow down. And I put a black mask on and that percentage went down to 0.1 of people mm -hmm. talking trash to me just because I had a black mask instead of a smiley mask. Yeah. And I thought that's an interesting psychological thing to experience that people thought, oh, I can just abuse this guy because he's smiling. Here, here's a here's a tie-in with that that you're going to love. And and I, I was a big sociology psychology uh, guy in college, and and I learned that quickly as a young ad exec in college because I worked at the ad firms while I was still going to college. So the days I was doing art classes and getting in there and having everything splattered across you and just really getting into something. Those days versus the days I had to go to work when I would be in the, the, the tie, right? Mm -hmm. The white shirt and everything. People are opening doors and they're smiling at you and talking to you and everything's great. The days that I had art classes and I was trying to go over to the bookstore to get something done or go run to McDonald's to get something to eat in between classes, people looked at you like you were just nothing. And mm -hmm. and I used to tell people, like, they kind of look at you and I have, you know, you know clay splattered or something. from, from And, and they, I said, oh, so I'm a house painter. 
you know, I just, I'm basically just taking college classes to kind of, you know, fill some time cause I'm bored, but you know, I'm really just, uh, I, I just, you know, I just got through spackle on the house and you know, I just had to go in this little mini story of just, you know, I, they didn't have any business. Why were you judging me? You know, right. but they do, man, like you said, that that's a great deal about the mask because we, we each have my wife and I got a whole pile of mask. Right. And, um, I've got one that's the Joker, mm-hmm. and, and that one, like you said, versus that I've got one that's camouflage and, and one that's just black. And and you're right, man. You were you were com- you were completely judged by the mask that you're wearing at the time. So that's, that's, that's almost kind of like a um, uh, uh, it's almost um, we all wear masks at some point, right? And hats and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's literally it's literally being judged on what you're what you're coming across and wearing. I mean, yeah, I actually I bought like. I bought bought those gator masks mm-hmm. and then I had a doctor's appointment at uh at the hospital. And I go to the hospital and they go, Oh, oh do you have a hospital mask? I go, Why would I? I don't work at yeah. the hospital. <laughs> he goes, Well, we don't allow gators. I go, Why? His mask is fine. He goes, Yep. And it was just a cloth mask. It's a yeah. black cloth mask with the two air loops. I go, yeah. look, this is cloth. That's cloth. It was, you know, for, for one thing, and, and, and I'll just touch upon this briefly. For one thing, airports are such a reminder of the class system, right? From medieval mm. times, right? All the mm. way from sitting in the back of the plane to first class, right? It's just a reminder of that time in, in, in the world. Well, it's like masks have kind of almost kind of fallen that same kind of thing because and in, in, that really hit me and I kind of really kind of sat back in the airport, kind of took it all in. I'm a people watcher. So... I was watching, as you said, all these different people go by, and some people had pretty much a Kleenex, if nothing else, over them, or the chin strap guy. And then there, like I said, there's these all these different levels of you know HEPA filter guy, and you know the 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 neck thing, right, that goes over up your neck and half your face, and or the person that ties the bandana. It's almost like a class system now. You can there's yeah. all these different, and for lack of a better term, genre of mask out there. Um, it's just it's it's kind of become a thing. It's not even you know some people try to make it where it's a, a fashion thing. Some people it's just a it's just a thing, right? And some people don't even wear a mask at all. I mean they're getting kind of a little. Uh, I don't know if they're trying to rebel or what, but I've gone to the grocery stores lately, and there's people that you know the big the big you know bubbas of the world that are bulletproof and show up in the, the you know the eight foot truck and they get out and they don't put on a mask. They're just you know they're they're too bad for COVID, right? They're gonna they're right. gonna go in the store and. and you know, not not do anything, and nobody tells them anything. I mean, a month ago, and here in Washington, there was literally guards—not armed guards, but guards—sitting right. out front, and where you couldn't go in, you didn't have a mask. That was it, and and they they've gotten a little lax with that now. But it's uh, it's it's become its own class system to me. No, I can definitely see it. I, I mean, I have seen it for sure. It's crazy. Yeah. It just bugs me. But on the but on the happier side of things, when we're not when we're not having to deal with that kind of stuff, we have such a, a great book to go back to and, and uh, yeah, to we have and, comics. Yeah, we can we 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 have the fun stuff we can touch upon and you know the memories and the and the uh, the collections. It looks like I just pulled up the site and we're, we're it's closing in on uh, six hundred backers, which is awesome. And uh, yeah. fixing, it's fixing to tick up. It's up. It's right at almost seventeen five and ticking right away. So. Oh, that's great. It's doing its thing, man. It's awesome. Congratulations. It's a, Thank it's, you. it's a great book, great series. And, and for those to be able to reach back to, that's what I love with all the, 
the Kickstarters that have come this kind of far in their in their Kickstarter careers that you can give the opportunity for for uh, people to reach back and, and find issues they didn't have before and uh, and start putting. But these are all basically standalones anyway. But still, to be able to reach back and get that idea of a collective is just awesome. Well, yeah, to know that there's more material out there, so it's not just you know, and, and it's uh, the thing that I really want to stress is that I deliver. And I know there's definitely been instances where, I mean, everyone makes mistakes. You sometimes miss books. I mean, there are people who come to me and they say, well, I didn't get my book because, you know, they didn't fill their survey out last year or whatever. And I'm like, all right, that's it. I just get the book out. It's not even anything to think about after that. I'm just like, okay, I look it up. I see where the tracking is. I see who did. Sometimes people just take forever to do something and sometimes they don't. And the idea is that I just want to make sure everybody gets their books and everyone's happy. Um, and if you're a postal worker, please be kinder to the packaging because oh, I, yes. I don't know what happens. I don't know if there's a vendetta against certain envelopes, but I'm always astounded when people tell me that and show me, they send me pictures of like, I'm like, did they use a chainsaw to put this in your mailbox? But mm-hmm. um the bottom line is I just want people to know that they, if they want their books, they're going to get their books and I'm always accessible and you can always talk to me. Maybe there's a couple days where I'm working and I can't, I can't get to the computer. I know that seems illogical. And the, the problem too is that uh, Kickstarter's mobile app is just not very good. I wish yeah. they would fix that. Um, it's just not very intuitive. And, um, but you get your books and I've been doing this enough so that, that that's a priority to me, just as much as everything we talked about story and escapism. It's it's you're my customer. You're the person that I want to make sure is happy at the end of the day. Uh, regardless, it's not it's not a distributor. I'm not going through diamond. I'm not. It's me. It's literally me at my kitchen table with all these comics spread out, packing, bagging, boarding. Um, going to the post office, I have a great relationship with the people at the post office because I see them so many different times a year with tons of packages. Um, they always joke because th- I guess there was a woman who um, has a similar thing where she prints postages at home and brings, you know, I don't know if it's as many as I bring, but she comes at like closing time. And they're like, really, we got to process 100 packages at closing time. And so I walked in there and they were like, this guy does it right. This guy brings it in at two o'clock in the afternoon. And we all get our pack. I'm like, so my priority is always making sure everyone's happy with what they get. And, and you know, sometimes sometimes the story's not for you. I definitely have had that happen. There was a, the last Kickstarter. There was a woman who said, I just, I, I the writing's good. The art is beautiful, but it's just not for me. And I'm like, great, but maybe something else will be for you. Maybe the next thing I do will be something, but I'm happy you backed it. And I'm, you know, and I just had to return. I just not return, replace two packages at the post office. Just I had uh, metal foil covers and those are very fragile. And I guess they were trying to kick field goals with them or something. So Uh, I'm, I'm on the fence about, I have enough material now to write a story on just, male experiences and uh I, i'm i'm on the fence about it because i have pictures to back all this stuff up too and and i literally had one that it looked like someone shot it with a gun or it was skewed with an arrow or something um for a present for my wife for our anniversary i'd uh, gotten a chris stapleton uh, signed photograph and some other things that had to kind of do with our anniversary and it was literally 
it was a uh, wonder woman was the other one that was linda carter sat, and it was it was literally skewered i mean it it was there was no doubt about it it was a complete hole through and through all the way through the coa and i bring that to the post office i'm like you know what what is this <laughs> how does how does this happen what machine you know right. does this and and all the gemini's that you know i get that are you know been dropped on their head at some point um it's just, it's just, I, I could. And it's the thing because I, I mean, I, this has been probably the toughest year. I mean, oh, this yeah. past year for post office workers, I think. And I, I, I don't have, I have absolute respect for them. I don't, and whatever, but things happen. And fortunately for me, it's been a small percentage. Like it hasn't been like mass. Right. Cause that would crush me. Cause there's only, I mean, these things, I've run really tight margins and, uh, you know, the numbers are, where they are and I want to make sure everybody gets their books, but I also can't, you know, I don't have the opportunity to sit on a bunch of inventory. Um, right. It's not shark tank. Um, so, but for the most part, I, I have no complaints and, um, but, you know, I write little messages on there, you know, somebody says, leave it by the green post. And, and, you know, I, I try and imagine what an English cottage house looks like in the UK that where they're, putting it by the green box, but not in the front and the back. And but like that stuff that keeps me up at night. Cause I'm like, I want to make sure that they get it and it's there for them um, because it's an investment, especially like I said, overseas with all that shipping and everything. It's like, I know how I, I don't know if I mentioned my, my best friend's mom used to work at heroes world and she would not bring the books home. And I'd be like, did you bring the books? And she'd be like, no, I didn't get to it. Did you bring it like four or five days in a row? I'd be like, did you get the books? And she's like, no. So there's a part of me that's always like that disappointment of knowing that it should be there and it's not there. So I was kind of like, especially with comics, I guess. Oh like, yeah. There, there's a, there's a friend of mine that would mean mug the postal truck. He'd, he'd literally, you know, he's in another country and he would just, you know, go by and he's on the phone with me and he knows he's got a package coming from me. And I've given him the tracking number. He said, it's, it's arriving today. I was like, yeah. He said, I just saw it go by. I said, well, it's on the truck. <laughs> And he goes back the other way, and he's I'm mean, like I'm on the phone for the whole experience, and I'm like I'm for like 20 minutes, and I'm like just run it down then, just 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 go to the truck, man. It's like ice cream, just just go get your treat, you know. Just I wish I wish I could run the the mail truck down with my with my wheelchair because <laughs> oh man, I I bought uh cause cause uh my buddy Thomas that I do the OK Boomer podcast with. I just bought like a brand new, uh, like 10 and a half inch, uh, tablet. He says it's perfect for reading comics and we have to read X amount of comics a week because, uh, you know, reviews and on top of the news and, you know, follow the storylines and sure. everything. And I go, great. It was on sale for $197. The second I pressed buy, it was sold out and the price went up to like, $235. That was six days ago. Oh my God. I have yet to get the tablet in. I bought it. I bought it from, I bought it from walmart.com. That's supposed to have two day delivery. Mm. Um, Oh, I gave the post office hell for that the other day when I was balancing packages off. Cause well, it was, they're, was like, they're, so, sending it, they're sending it FedEx. Mm -hmm, yeah. FedEx was like, goes, Oh, we never received it. Uh, yeah, I just so now I, I, I have to wait forty eight. I have to wait like an additional two days now, mm -hmm. uh, just to just for them to go through all their all their processing. 
to refund me the 200, you know, 240 dollars, whatever it, it was. It, it, it kind of reminds me right now of it's kind of like the post office situation is kind of like gas prices. You know, when, mm -hmm. when gas prices got so high, when they got into three bucks and four, we knew it was never going to break a dollar again, right? Those days are gone. It's not going to, it's, and that's to me kind of, I'm afraid that's where the postal system is getting right now. Like we've accepted so much bad, right? We, we yeah. just haven't revolted. We, we've accepted it. And, and you know, like you said, I'm like you, I get a chance to, uh, uh, talk to the postal people. I get to know them all the time. I mean, the one back in Colorado, I got to know all the time. And he was an, a retired history professor. And um, you know, I'd, I'd work in there. I'd brew, I knew what drink he wanted, so I'd bring him a drink. You know, I'd bring him a tea from the from the store down the road, and we just chat for a second. When I'm trying to process all these boxes, um, trying to do something to break out the monotony of the day, right? Right. And um, but then the ones here, there's a, a, a uh, UPS store just a couple blocks away, which is awesome because I don't have to go, you know, 14 miles to the post office. I just for an extra dollar or so in difference, I can just go right there and do everything. And um, I was picking with them because I said they said like, "Oh, it's going to be there in two days." I was like, "No, it's not. <laughs> don't even, don't play with my emotions. That's not even. I'm not even going to tell the customer that. I'm going to give them the tracking number. I'm going to say look for it in about a week. Oh no, it's guaranteed. But no, it's not. <laughs> don't even don't even play with me like that. So. Yeah, well, well, I'm sorry about your encounter with that because my wife just ran into some things. She is poor thing. She's forever in the uh, Amazon refunding basket for uh, for something going awry, and and I don't know what's they need to get. They they've slipped, uh, and I know they'll probably watch this podcast and probably sue me now. But they they've slipped um, to me recently in the last six months or so in their uh, in their yeah. abilities, and that's and that's on demand. I know that's because they've got growing pains right now. And and they are trying to supply, you know, they're they're actually renting out areas in shopping centers that aren't open up as Amazon stores. It's just there's vacant space in the mall because these stores are shutting down. Mm -hmm. Amazon's new business plan is to rent that space as another warehouse to change around their dis distribution chains. So, you know, yeah, well, they, they just built like a a huge, huge warehouse, uh, the next town over from me, uh, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. And I mean, it, it takes up like, you know, that warehouse thing for Amazon takes up like six city blocks. Oh yeah. They're ridiculous. It, it, it's crazy. And it, but there's nothing that comes out of there. That's bigger than a bread box. <laughs> all the, all the bigger things are like from a, from main distribution. Well, I, I grabbed some Amazon boxes the other day that came in, and my wife was about to toss them in the trash. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Those are gold. She's like, what do you mean? I said, no, I'm reusing those boxes because they have they have mastered the size <laughs> and of efficiency of what to be able to ship that thing for. So, Well, not just I'm, that. If you got, if you got porch pirates around you and, and you got a couple of dogs, you can – when you do the pooper scooper, you dump it in that box and just leave it out on the sidewalk for them. You know that's a, that's a thing now too. I, I'm, I'm we can talk about this on a different podcast, but I'm having, I'm having a hard time with that commercial about doing your business in a box and shipping it off to go get checked out. I mean, and they make a cute little fun little cartoony box that runs around that you gotta do your stuff in and then ship it. That just I, I don't know. I'm having a hard time with that one. I'm still waiting for my results back, but I shipped mine to Pelosi's house. So yeah, I don't you, know. You, you, yeah, I mean. <laughs> You know that was that, that was like a high school prank when I was growing up. Now it's now yeah. it's like a thing. <laughs> yeah, because you used to light up, you used to light it on fire though. 
So it was yeah. a thing, yeah. They, they skipped that whole process. They took the fun out of it. Yeah. <laughs> they need to go back and watch the Marty McFly. Well, I, you know, I, I, I can tell people I grew up from the South and we did some crazy, stupid stuff. We set a lot of stuff on fire growing up. I mean, I'm not even going to, we went through a lot of gasoline and matches back when I was a kid and had a lot of fun, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun to go back through that. But I, I, uh, I definitely appreciate, I'm going to have to fix enough to jump off, but I definitely appreciate hanging out with you guys. And again, just, when, uh, just, 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 uh, just to say, I know it's a mouthful, but just, it's a, uh, it's such a wonderful piece and I'm not just saying that I mean from from one creator to another it's just I really enjoyed and being a fan of pulp and the, and the collections and the collaborative it's just a nice piece all the way around thank you I appreciate that yeah congratulations and uh and hopefully it'll hit hopefully it'll hit that 20k mark so the uh the ever-expending fan base you're you're growing here on Kickstarter will uh get that holofoil print as well as the other three I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Definitely. It's, uh, it's pretty close. There's still, there's still like, uh, about so two weeks. Yep. just over two weeks by a day, yep. I think day and a half. We got, we got a whole half a campaign, a whole half a campaign left to, uh, yeah. to reach out there. So, uh, oh, we're, yeah. we're hard at it on our side. Plenty of time. It was, it was wonderful meeting you. Now I can, same I here. Can, I can put a face with the name from, uh, all your stuff that I've read. Now I'm going to have to dig through, through books and I'll I'll have to shoot Kevin a picture. Look, I oh, found yeah. GI Zombie. Yeah, look at look at my picture. Look at my stuff. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, I've been notoriously it. under the radar for a long time. Mm. I don't usually go to cons. I always told Jimmy I just want to do the work. I don't want to do the famous stuff. Um, but look, I kind of put you in. That's kind of like the Neil Pert of uh, of things, right? You oh, know? Yeah, that's a huge compliment. I mean, Neil is. It's, Amazing. Neil, he he didn't he didn't he, yeah and I was I was I was a I connect with Neil because I was a drummer growing up and and uh, he didn't he didn't do the handshakes right he he was at the concert but he didn't go out and hang out with the fans he didn't do, he just did his thing and wow. he was respected for that and I can I can applaud that he was talented he was he was special for sure yeah, he was and and you know I asked, I love music and I love I love um, the whole, you know, that, and that's where the whole, and I kind of circle back around to that's why we're doing the roadshow thing because it is taking you as the creator, right. And treating you like the rock star and letting you go around this tour and talk about what a great, wonderful thing you got coming up. And that's the fun in that, right. It's tied back to that, that whole genre of, of music and fun and, and travel that we all grew up with. I mean, I got a chance to, I, I bumped into 38 special a couple flights ago and, and, that was purely by accident. I mean, I'm on. I'm fixing to get on, and these these guys are talking, and I could tell they're talking music, and I could tell they're well seasoned travelers by the way they're packed. And I was like, I know this from somewhere. I can't can't place them, but and and I go to get on the plane, and the guy turns to me, and there's my chance, right? He goes, "Hey, man, did you see where I'm supposed to put my bag? Because I I must have missed it." I was like, "Yeah, man, it's like 20 foot back that way is where you go stash the stuff." I was like, "But wait a minute, what do you do? Because I know it's something in music." And he's like, "We're the band 38 Special." <laughs> And I could talk to the you know the drummer and the, the, the guitarist and everything. I mean, it was just it was just kind of a you know I got to hang out with Thirty Eight Special. What, what more of a of a uh, travel moment do you get to do with that, right? You know, that's awesome. But that's just one of those crazy weird trip things, right? One of those kind of airport things um, that you get to do. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's funny when you run into people in airports. And Thirty Eight Special, I think uh, it was. Uh, I mean, that's 1982. That's Micronauts. I used to listen yeah. to Hold On Loosely while reading yeah. Micronauts comics. So there's like a there you go thing in there. I was a little what, kid. 
they they what was funny was that the total rock star life they got off the plane and this was in Shreveport, louisiana and they go one guy goes where are we even at he's like man i don't care we're just here to play mm-hmm. you know he had no didn't have not a care in the world he had you know he had the um the fedora on and he had the, all the rings on his fingers and he was just he was just there to go have a good time and play he didn't care what city it was you know the total the total rock star life it was amazing crazy yeah. can't even imagine it Hopefully, hopefully we get a taste of the of the rock star life. We get a chance to go on these tours. I mean, you got a couple more shows coming up with us here shortly, so yeah. uh, we're just gonna have a lot of fun, man. That's we're here to just hang out and I just want to keep making comics and telling people yeah. about them. So, spread spread sure. the love, man. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna download the audio from this episode, and it'll be up on ageofradio.org. So if anybody listens to it over there, they know to come and find Creators Outlet on YouTube. Or to uh, look for it on the Outright Geekery channel to see any any of the cool pulp art we were looking at during this episode. Yeah, I'll, I'll do like the other ones. I'll wrap it back up in a rewind session, and uh, we'll put it on the cassette. I don't, I don't know if I've told it to you or not, Justin, but we do a, a throwback to the old '80s cassette. Mm-hmm. And I'll put stickers on it of all the different things that's got going on, and then that's that link is a mega link, and it has all the different the the visual part of the podcast, the audio part of the podcast. It's all on one link, and I'll throw that to you when I get it built. So, all right, very cool. I'll be able to share that out there, and it'll be a you know, real good time. Well, Will, thanks again for having us. Yes, thank you. Thanks. Will. It was uh, it was a great time, and uh, the book looks great. Congratulations on on funding another project, and uh, thank you. We'll look forward to the next, uh, right. and I'll be uh, crossing my fingers for some uh, GI zombie. <laughs> well, we got plans. <laughs> <laughs>